Steve and I go in-depth on vintage scenarios on episode 10 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome, everyone, to episode 10 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hey, folks. In this episode, we're going to do more vintage scenarios. We're very excited. The first episode, the first vintage scenario episode, very good feedback. You've asked for it, so here we are. We're bringing it to you. So we're going to run through a few scenarios, all from the current vintage metagame, recent things that have come up in tournaments or testing for us. And we hope you enjoy it. I'm very excited. As always, as we go through the show, you can write us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com or tweet us your feedback at many insane plays. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to follow at many insane plays to find out more updates or to follow the show. Let's start things off with a few announcements. Steve, you wanted to announce the next Team Series Open? The next Team Series Open is scheduled for December 3rd. Um, be sure to be there. It's up in Sandusky. Sandusky. Um, and the information on the announcements can be found on the Tournament Announcements Forum on themenadrain.com. Be sure to check it out. If you're in Michigan or Ohio, be there. We'll all be there. It's always a good time. Get a mixture of Mean Deck and Team Serious and some other local players there. We have some pretty good competition for a mid-sized tournament. The last two have been a blast. Yeah. Um, and also be sure to check out my uh, Team Mean Deck tournament report and Gushermore Primer, which is available on EternalCentral.com. Our first scenario is a mulligan decision. We didn't do really any of those last time we did this. So this one is from the perspective of playing a blue deck, and you're playing... Well, you're playing a deck that you recently built and piloted at the Team Mean Deck Open. You want to talk about that deck briefly? Well, my Remora Gush deck is a deck built around Gush and Remora, and it's built and designed to abuse Mr. Remora. And one of the ways it does that is by synergizing Mystic Remora with a bunch of free counterspells. So it maxes out on mental missteps and has a couple mind break traps, which so, are all really strong with Mystic Remora in play. In total, 10 free counters, right? 10 free counters, yeah. And so this mulligan decision is hinges on the fact that the free counters allow you to at least consider keeping hands that have no mana sources. And this scenario could apply be applicable to any blue deck that runs mental misstep and, and a mind break trap. That's really, that's really, I'm sorry, that's right. And if you could apply this to other scenarios where the mind break trap's not present either if it's force of right. will. Right, so this so, could be a, a hand with land still. Right, let's let's read off this hand, top to bottom. Force of will, mind break, ter- <clears throat> mind break trap, mental misstep, ancestral recall, preordain, tinker, Hercules recall. Seven blue cards, and you're on the play. You have three, quote-unquote, free counters. They are conditional, but three of them. You also have Ancestral Recall and Preordain, such that any blue mana source you draw, which is the majority of your mana sources, will be live. 
need to mention this is against an unknown opponent game one. That's right. Our scenario here is you don't know what you're playing against. So you've got a fair bit of protection. Mm -hmm. If you draw mana source, you're going to be off to the races, theoretically. And do you keep this hand? Looking at it on the surface, very few magical formats and or decks would ever keep a man in this hand. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that we as magic Dreadwood players... Might. Uh, well, uh, yeah. exceptions. We as magic players are trained to look for this kind of scenario as an automatic mulligan. You right. just In almost any other scenario or format, you wouldn't keep a hand. But in this format, and in this deck specifically, you can compete. You can expect to compete for the first few turns of the game and give yourself time to draw the mana, at which point you may just completely pull out of the the scenario that you're in. Well, Kevin, would you keep this hand? You're sitting down, it's round one of the tournament, <laughs> or you can make it round three if you'd like. Yeah. You're two it's still an unknown opponent, though. An unknown opponent, game one, you open this hand up, would you keep it? But can... Against an unknown opponent, my preference is no. So you would mulligan this? I would. Against a known opponent, where you have a little bit more information, it has everything, to, in my opinion, to do with how live my mind break trap and or mental misstep are expected to be. Mm-hmm. Force of Wills is a security blanket. You can expect that to do its work regardless of matchup, really. Right. Dredge accepted. So, so if you're playing, what what matchups would would you keep this? If I'm playing against a... <clears throat> if I'm playing against a combo deck, and I use that term loosely, something like Gush, where I expect my Mind Break Trap to have a high likelihood of being live, then I'm much more likely to keep. Hmm. If I'm certain that my mental misstep is going to be live also, I'm much more likely to keep. Those are really the two the two operative decisions, in my opinion, is how live are that mind break trap and mental misstep. The ancestral recall and the preordain means that even if I draw a mana source and the game has developed to the point where I actually have a choice between the two of them, I like that security. So there are scenarios I could see where, for instance, if my opponent we fight on their first turn for an Ancestral and it resolves on their side somehow, mm-hmm. and I draw my mana source, I'm going to seriously debate whether or not I play my own Ancestral if they want a counter war on their turn. Something like that. A- anyway, the point is, with no information, I feel like I can't keep this hand. <clears throat> but if you had information, you would keep, possibly keep. Mm-hmm. There are too many matchups, <clears throat> in my opinion, where you don't really have three free counter spells. So if you're playing against like mono brown mud, mental misstep is not playable. Probably dead. Unless and they have soul ring or, ma- or mana vault. In their right. Hand. And mind break trap will be dead in maybe Almost 50 every, 50. Unless it's turn one. It's, right. Unless they walk into a turn one, it's probably dead. There are plenty of draws that mud will get that will activate your turn one mind break trap. But the are there prob- any turns after one where mind break trap is going to be active? <laughs> no. And the problem with what I just said, unless in my opinion, is that sometimes. <clears throat> your mind break trap going live on the first turn is still not even going to be enough against the deck like against the deck like mud. They're not going to load up the stack. In fact, they're incapable of loading up the stack with more than one spell. Mm-hmm. So you're still just trading them one for one with your mind break trap, and you're going to trade them one for one with your force of will. And then if you don't draw a land in those two turns, it, it may not matter that you countered those first two spells because odds are they're going to have a third threat that has the potential to ruin you. On like turn three. On turn three, sure. The the challenge with analyzing this from a workshop standpoint is also, in my opinion, that you are playing into their strengths by having a land light hand. 
you and I are both in the <laughs> habit of boarding in more lands against workshops, and yeah, we know why because absolutely. we that absolutely. archetype pressures yeah. the mana density in your deck. And I really just don't want to be holding a, a no land hand, even if it has four free counter spells. I don't want to get to turn right. four against workshops I'll, and have one land. I'll push you on that in a minute, but let me just start okay. out by saying there are basically three kinds of hands that you can open. This is just sort of obvious stuff: <laughs> automatic mulligans. Automatic keeps, and then the gray area in between. <laughs> the gray area and, is pretty huge. The question is whether this is one of the a gray area in between and where that those lines are. My view is, in general, that the hands that are automatic keeps are hands that have a healthy mixture of mana and spells, mm-hmm. and the ha- hands that are automatic mulligans are automatic mulligans because of one or two, one or two, one of two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, the hand is almost all mana or too much mana, so like you have six ma- lands mm-hmm. in one spell, like mm-hmm. you know. Five lands, Black Lotus and Force of Will is not a keepable hand. Right. Or, more commonly, a no mana hand. That's an automatic mulligan. Mm-hmm. Now, this would this would appear to be the no mana hand <laughs> and therefore be an automatic mulligan. But the the question this hand raises is, given the density of free spells that are now appearing in vintage more regularly, mm-hmm. specifically since the printing of Mental Misstep. When, if ever, can you keep a no land hand? That's what this question I think brings into question. It calls this scenario brings into, into into focus, and I think you're right to look at it matchup by matchup. But I think there are other ways of looking at those matchups. So take the workshop matchup that you just described. So you open this hand, game one, and of course it depends on how strong your deck is against workshop game one. Sure. And if you have like three trigon predators in your main deck. You very well may want to mulligan this to try and get, you know, like a Mox land land Trigon Predator hand. Right. Um, but if your deck is, let's say, a dog to shop game one or not very good, is a hand of six really going to be better? And more importantly, if they walk into your trap, your mind break trap, mm-hmm. is, if that scenario happens, does your overall chance of winning this game shoot up much greater than, you know, having just a hand of six that doesn't have any counter spell? Right. I I think in order to answer that, you have to analyze your likelihood of drawing mana sources, of course. Yeah. So can you offhand how many blue mana sources are in this deck to draw in turn one? Or, or turn two, actually. Let's assume it's a normal deck, blue deck with, like, roughly 14... Blue lands, fourteen lands, mm-hmm. and seven mana sources. Seven, seven artifacts. artifacts, you mean? Yeah. Of which two are blue. Two are blue. So yeah. you got sixteen out of fifty-three yeah. on your next draw step. Mm-hmm. So sixteen out of fifty-three. I'm not going to try and do that math in my head. I'm going to pull up my smartphone here, and the calculator held there in just a moment. Everyone who's listening to this and shouting out the numbers, I really do apologize. Sixteen over fifty-three is thirty percent. Yeah. 30% and it goes up. If you don't draw it on turn one, it goes up slightly on turn two. Right. Very slightly. 30% of the time, you're going to draw a turn two mana source to play Ancestral or Preordain. That's that's not comforting enough for me, of course. But there, but no one is keeping this hand on the likelihood of drawing the turn two land, the really. The question is... Is is that the the math? I, no, I don't think that's the operative yeah. metric. I, yeah. I, I agree. You got to go beyond that. You have to account for drawing other force of wills. Oh, that's right? true. You a top deck force of will well, does still keep you in the game to the basically to the same extent. To the same extent. 
The other thing is you may even want to keep in black mana, like a black mox, because a black mox will allow you to play a demonic tutor should you draw it, or a vampire tutor should you draw it. That, that's true, but now we're talking turn three. Yeah, so if you draw turn two, like vamp, mm-hmm. turn three jet. I wanted to point out earlier, the mud matchup in particular has a unique feature relative to Mindbreak Trap, in my experience, that you may be able to counter a spell on turn one with Mindbreak Trap, but it may feature leave, letting another spell resolve. Which it, if they go Workshop Mox, Chalice for zero. Right. But keep in mind, you're on the play, right. and you went draw, go. Right. So they know, they know what's up. Yeah. And so you, you might see them play something like Workshop Mox, Chalice, zero, which, in my opinion, you have no answer to in this hand. You're yes. not going to counter that. You're not going to force that. No. No, sorry, yeah. you said Mox zero, Chalice Zero. Chalice Zero, right. Yeah, no. So they resolve Chalice Zero, and then they play, say, Lodestone Golem, right. and you force that. or No, you Mind Break Trap mind that. Break I'm sorry. That, yeah. But the fact that you got to use Mind Break Trap was still at the expense of having to let spell number two resolve. It, you didn't have to, but the point is you had, to make, you had to make some decisions. Now look at the scenario where they go Workshop, Mox, Mox, Sphere Resistance. You have to Mind Break Trap that. And now they have a second threat on the first turn. And now your three free counters, quote-unquote, all that got you to was turn two. You draw your non-lands card. You've used Force of Will and Mind Break Trap. You have Mental Misstep to fall back on, which it, against many mud lists only counters Soul Ring. Yep. So I don't feel like you have, even with Force and, mental, and Mind Break Trap, I mean, against mud, I still feel like there are combinations of cards they could have, especially if they properly interpret your hand, that will still leave you on the outs. Well, there are workshop decks that are increasingly running red, and they make Metal Misstep better. That's true. It helps. Um, I still don't know if I follow what you're saying. It seems to me that it seems to me that it's true that you will have to let a spell resolve, unless you force it. Let me, let me put it in a more abstract terms. You have equated these free spells to effectively representing mana in your mulliganing decisions. Hmm. You were saying there are two things you don't keep. There's no action, basically, seven, yep. s- six mana and one, one spell, and there's no mana. Yep. And you're saying these no, these no mana, quote-unquote, hands are starting to become keepable because of the free counters. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're effectively saying is that this free counter represents some amount of mana that I get to use in the early turns. Or some access, buying access to mana. Right. Like, it's basically to buying time walks. Right. To find lands. And I agree with you. I think that's a, a valid way to assess that. We don't have a metric by which to measure it exactly, but the well, best... We do. I mean, we well, said, like, we're going to see a land probably in the top three cards. Okay. Well, that's what... Okay, that's what I was about to say, is yeah. the closest metric we can equate it to is how much time does this buy us to draw our land. Right. And what I'm getting at is what you would refer to as three free counters yes. may only get you to turn two <laughs> against the workshop deck. That's you may have to counter two spells on turn one. from what you were saying. Earlier, well, but, but, yeah. but if, yeah. if you have to expend Force of Will and Mind Break Trap on turn one, yeah. you've reduced the amount of time you have to draw the land, therefore reducing your likelihood to ever get access to mana. Because now you, their turn two play, maybe yeah. they've got a turn to... I don't know, Tangle, not Tanglewire, they would never play that. Right. Turn to another guy of some threatening nature, Revoker, which is also terrible. I'm sorry, we're drawing a blank here. Maybe they got turn two Lodestone Golem, I don't know. The point is, if you had to counter two spells on turn one because they led with a sphere and still had access to three or four mana, you have to counter a sphere on turn one with this hand. And a sphere is a real easy combination play for them. They can go workshop mock sphere and see what you do because they know you kept a hand that had forces and has to counter that sphere. 
What but if they had double they sphere? They don't know that, though. That's the thing. Of course they know no, no, that. No, no, I'm thinking if you're if you're a workshop player and your opponent goes draw go, I think there's a really good chance you think they're playing dredge. Um, I mean, sorry, not draw go. They just say go. I think there's a really good chance that they kept the hand, and they that doesn't have bizarre because it's. You know, um, all the dredgers. Honestly, you are correct in that, and there there is more than one analysis for them. But it occurs to me that it doesn't matter if they kept an opening hand that has sphere and thorn, for example. They're still just going to run out the sphere yeah. no. to see what happens no, no, no. against dredge. Here's why I think it matters: because a workshop pilot, I think that I think that you have to think psychologically, and not look. I just want to say at the outset: if I'm playing against workshops. Unless I'm playing a deck like Doomsday, that is a super dog, you know, and then because you're such a dog to workshops, your only chance of winning is for them to basically do this one sequence that falls into your trap. Right. You know, I'm not going to keep this hand. But I think that if, if you're a workshop player and you think you're playing a dredge, you're going to think, I need to win as quickly as possible this game one. And so they're going to, they're going to sort of carelessly order their spells to aggressively win the game. For, for damage sake. For damage sake. So I think that they're going to drop all their Moxen into play. Mm-hmm. You know, workshop players already are going to want to play Moxen. They're going to want to accelerate out. I mean, unless they have a workshop hand, most hands with workshop, like supported by Wasteland or Ancient Tomb, are usually supported by multiple artifact accelerants, right? So like Ancient Tomb Mox. You know, Ancient Tomb Mox Mox. Ancient mm-hmm. Tomb Mana Crypt Mox. Wasteland Mox Mox. Most workshop hands, unless they have a workshop, even hands with workshop, you know, Workshop Mox Lotus, Workshop Mox Manicrypt. They're going to play all those those accelerants on turn one. You know, I mean, uh, I just don't think it's likely. I think, to, I think you're trying to emphasize the fact that you expect Mindbreak Trap to be highly relevant. I expect there to be a non-trivial chance it'll be relevant. More than that, I think that. And that's. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that though. Yeah. I'm saying that in the scenario where Mindbreak Trap is relevant, mm-hmm. you still are you still kind of get screwed out of the time you think you have. Well, it I, it, I guess, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is all it takes is for them to have a two-threat opener right. where you have to counter the first threat. So it's like basically they go like workshop, mox, lodestone golem, and you force it. And then they play turn two threat, and then you you don't you have time to play ancestral again. Because they got the sphere in play, and now you need two lands to play your ancestral. Yeah. That's what you're saying. No. I mean, that's... that's... <laughs> I, Indirectly, yes. I was thinking more along the lines of turn one double threat. But if they have but... double one threat, then then your mindbreak trap is online because you have force for the first. And what I'm saying is it doesn't help. The fact that you got to mindbreak trap on turn one is actually bad for you because it accelerates the game by a turn. I think you want to play one for one though. I don't think no. you don't mind, but they might be spent. No, they but might my, also be spent. My point is not that you don't want to counter something. It's that yeah. you, if it happens too fast, you're cheating yourself out of more turns to draw the land. Oh, you'd rather if than, if yeah, Mindbreak Trap is good on turn one, it saying. means they have an increased likelihood of having multiple threats. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe not. I mean, I think it, it cuts both ways because if they have if Mindbreak Trap is used on turn one, there's a good chance they play two threats on turn one, which means that there is a good chance they don't have a turn two threat or their turn two threat is anemic. Like a Tanglewire is a dead tangle in this wire, context. A Revoker. I mean, sorry, a Revoker or a Metamorph that copies nothing. You know, I think that's a separate issue, but it's also worth considering. The fact I, that countering early threats against workshops with this awkward situation actually nullifies some of their cards. Yeah. I but, think that's a separate issue that's <laughs> worth considering. Well, <laughs> well, well, my point is, though, that I think what you're saying is that... They have very few live threats, actually, in this scenario. Only spheres and lodestone. <laughs> yeah. And miscellaneous creatures like Juggernaut. Yeah. But, but Revoker I, is terrible, and... I think your point is is 
is not accurate for turn one, but is accurate in a broader sense. That is, if you counter turn one threat, Mindbreak Trap is not likely to do something later on, and you're not going to be buying time subsequent to the game to get to those top the land in your top three cards. Right. I mean, this hand is basically set up. You you need to draw a land. It's a gambit. It's this a gambit. hand is a gambit. You need to draw it on could, on one or two. You need to draw really. it on one or two, and in possibly three. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, I think I think if you just set up any kind of workshop hand, there's a really good chance you can counter the first two threats. Yeah. You know, and then, you know. Um, they're either going to be spent or near spent, and they're both top decking. If you can, if you can survive to without them having a sphere on the table, mm-hmm. they can have a revoker or a tangle wire or a metamorph. Mm-hmm. But a sphere on the table by turn three, ideally turn two, but turn three, then you have a non-trivial chance. I think there's another thing that we haven't really discussed, and that's the role of chalice in this scenario. Yeah. And we focused on the workshop matchup. Yeah. We won't talk well, about other matchups. Yeah. Before we leave workshops, though, I just want to point out that Chalice becomes a much bigger threat yes, in absolutely. this scenario and is much more likely to confound your yes. mind break trap yes. and become a, the yeah. turn one double threat. Land, land mocks Chalice. Is, one. Yeah, is really it, rough. Mind break trap, and then turn two, they're not going to be playing, they're not going to get mind break trap online. Right. They're not going to hit the mind break trap. They're not going to activate mind break trap. If you're lucky, it's actually ironic that you really want them to have a double threat on turn one in that particular scenario, because you'd prefer to counter their first two spells and have that extra gambit of drawing into the right. land right then. But I, I, I do think in general, workshop players will have the psychology of, he has a really good chance he's playing dredge. Yeah. They need to go. Qu- they, they'll go for the aggressive kill, which will walk them into your trap. They're more likely to play guys that individual yeah. threats that you can. But even counteract. if they don't think you're dredge, I do think the psychology of the player is landmox mox. Let let me be aggressive. Let me capitalize. Because yeah. workshop players, you know, feel. I think some workshop players, you know, feel like they'll. They need to go in the aggressive role as quickly as possible. And so they'll try and capitalize on your misfortune yeah. by walking into your trap. Let's talk about a, a subset of that analysis that you're talking about, though. And I believe that as the workshop player <clears throat> sitting across the table from the player who goes draw go, or just go, assume if I get past the assumption that they might be playing dredge, which is valid, mm-hmm. if I switch gears and start thinking about them playing a blue deck that mm-hmm. kept multiple counters, I'm not thinking about Mind Break Trap. I'm just not. Exactly. And so you're thinking about, oh, they kept a double, double force, force hand. Let me play these threats as quickly as possible. Exactly. I want to I want to put out the best one, or not the best one, but I, I expect this first one to get forced, and then I'll yes. follow up with this, yes. and they have the chance of walking right into the trap. Yes. So I think, I so. think there's possibly... I think the psychology plays towards you. An increased likelihood there. Human is not a rational instrument. I mean, it's, you know, it's situational. Or the, the workshop player is going to think, I... I got this game. I'm ex- they're going to be excited and pumped up, yeah. unless they think they're playing as dredge. In which case, they're still going to walk into the trap. Uh, yeah, the, the result is going to be the same. Right. But I, uh, but again, I think we both agree you don't keep this hand against workshops, for the most part. We've spent unless so much time. We spent so much time assuming you're playing against shops. I said earlier that if I'm playing against a combo-ish deck, a gush deck that I expect to actually play multiple spells on turn one or two. See, in that in that context, your turn two mind break trap is so much more likely. In yeah. my opinion. Well, what I think also powers up the mind break trap is the presence of force and mental misstep. Yeah. Because you're very likely, there's a good chance you can get into a mental misstep battle. Right. Like if they play turn one in Sastral or Fastbond, you go mental misstep, they go mental misstep. You know, they played a Mox, mind break trap is on, on, the, on, the, on its way. Yeah. You know, it, you're I much more, I feel as I though, ironically. It also I, goes the same way, which is that if you don't play any lands, they're going to think, I need to capitalize. 
and aggressively play, you know, Tutor for Ancestral or whatever. I think against uh, a deck like Gush Tendrils, you're ironically much more likely to make it further into the game with this hand because of what you said. They're, all of their plays, basically, all of their lines of play in the first few turns, you can capitalize on. Or you, yes. can, you can punish. punish yeah. if, they, if they slow play and just go land preordain, you've got the mental misstep to punish them. You got the, not, not just that, but then you're buying the time you wanted. Right. And if they try to be aggressive, if they've got land, mox, mox, tinker, yes. then you're in a very good position with, yes. with mind break trap. Yes. And those decks tend to not have a game-breaking play on turns one, two, and three. The thing we haven't emphasized enough is this hand has ancestral in it. <laughs> right. I mean, so that, that you buy back the tempo as soon as you find the land. Right. In card advantage. Right. You so, could easily find a land and ancestral into a mox and you're back on to basically that, caught up if it happens within the first two turns. And that's why I, that's why I think this, this hand is so borderline, because it, had, it's because it has ancestral, not just the presence of free counterspells. Right. It's right. because it has ancestral. And let's not forget that it has Tinker, which means Ancestral could very, yes. very possibly buy you back into a very strong, threatening play the turn after. Yes. If you Ancestral into a land and a Mox, you're on Tinker the next turn. I, I think that um, against any blue deck, I would keep this hand. Against any blue deck? Really? Almost any, um, you know. Against the current of, blue decks, you mean? Yeah, like the, like the Snapcaster decks or the Gush decks. Mm-hmm. I would keep this hand. I just think that this hand gives you... Uh, but the worst, th- one of the worst things that could happen is that someone has Flusterstorm for your ancestral, you know. But you know, you can try and that's not the end of the world, honestly. Depending on yeah. when this happened, you might because you can just double mind. counter it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Very realistically, yeah. If, if you're on turn two, and it depends on what you've expent yeah. expent out of this hand so far. But if you, you, you could you can mental misstep force. Yeah, yeah you, you might. Um, I think that this hand, though, you know, there is a line where you keep the hand and where you don't. And one of the, the interesting questions is, you know, what if this hand had a second force of will, either in addition to what it had, or removing one of the spells? Mm-hmm. And the other variant that I think is interesting is, what if it just has a Mox Pearl, or an off-color Mox, like even a Mox Emerald? How much more keepable does this hand become in your view? Because I, I really would like to know where that line is. Yeah, you know? I see your point. The presence of a Mox, let's say it's in place of one of the other blue cards that isn't Tinker. So right. in place of Preordain or Hercules Recall, the presence of the Mox helps quite a bit, in my opinion, because you have a legitimate plan now. You can expect to be able to Tinker as soon as you get online. I also within think reason, it's important but... because it helps beat a, a Sphere or a Thorn. That's oh. what's really important. Um, it helps. I'm sorry, I, I was completely not thinking about the workshop scenario, but you're right. It means you can let a sphere resolve. Yes. And so it helps you a ton in that matchup. Yes. Of course, <laughs> Very the Revoker becomes, comes online. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, make that, become... I'll make that trade. Yeah. I'll gladly make that trade, though. Yeah. I, I would much rather make their Revoker slightly more live because they're, then they're not casting some other worse thing for me. In general, I would keep this hand. In general. Really? And I, I have a tendency to keep them. Hands that, that many people would mulligan, but I think that this is, you know, a really there are things going on in this hand that aren't surface level apparent. Mm-hmm. I think that we've we've touched on. Are there any other uh, situations for this hand you want to analyze? Um, Talked about shops. No. You say you're pretty comfortable with this against blue decks. I'm more comfortable with it against something that's more likely to walk into the mind break trap. What do you think about this against land still? 
Well, against Landstill, it's it's really bad. Because, <laughs> because your mind break trap is so unlikely to be on mental misstep. They're not. They're, they're, so reactive. Their their and mental misstep targets are all going to be reactive to what you do, exactly. and so it's so unlikely to be online. You, you, and it's unlikely you'll even resolve the ancestral right. with all these things. I mean, by the time you get there, they can have just as many of the free spells as you do. And they have and so many potential. potential they have so many potential blowout plays that are yeah. slow, un, unsusp- unassuming and blowout plays. And every land you draw is not unless it's a. Basic island is not going to be stable because it's going yeah. to be susceptible to their wasteland. But I think if it's any other blue deck, you, and, and plus, you know, if they play standstill, right? You know, well, you're going to fight over that. I think in this, you'll fight scenario. over it. But are you going to win that battle? Un- they've, unlikely. They've turned two standstill force, force. If you have no, okay. If you have no, if you've not drawn the land by then, you're you're highly unlikely to be able to win that game. I'd say. Right. So, um, what what I would say is to our listeners. Um, if you come across hands like this, email or tweet us. Oh yeah, we want to hear those stories. <laughs> we want to hear what you, what, how you analyzed it, what you came up with, how it actually played out. So let me tell you how this actually played out. I was playing against Theo, and I had opened the hand, and this is our first game of a series of games, and he was playing workshops. And what kind of workshops? He was playing Mono Red workshops. <laughs> <laughs> so he went Black Lotus, Mishra's workshop. He, sa- he sacrificed the Black Lotus for three red, and he played Goblin Motor. Oh, and I played Mental Misstep on his Goblin Motor. And then he played Lodestone Golem, which I Mind Break Trapped. <laughs> Not only did you stop the Welder, but Mind Break Trap is so good against Welders in general because it exiles the target anyway. Yes, yes. So even future Welders are still dead. I drew a non... I drew a, a blue card on turn two. And then he played another Lodestone Golem, mm-hmm. which I forced... And he was very upset. <laughs> he was like, I can't believe this. And then I drew the land and self recalled and I won the game. Wow. <laughs> I think Did he have a threat on turn three? He had, I think, Revoker. So barely. Yeah. It was something innocuous. So he had he had, turn, le- he had legitimately he had two threats on turn one. And, 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 and Welder and Revoker. And the, the rest of his stuff after that was just garbage. It was just the, you know, it was like, you know, like you said. like I assume you, d- you didn't I counter did the Revoker. Too. No, no. But you countered all the relevant threats thereafter. Yes. Hmm. How soon did you win? I think I tinkered pretty quickly. Okay. Well, very interesting scenario. You ready to move on to number two? Yes. Scenario two. two. <laughs> You're playing a blue deck again. Your opening hand has Ancestral Recall with Mental Misstep. Assuming that you have other mana sources, the necessary mana sources to cast the Ancestral at least, the question is, do you Ancestral on turn one or some other time, or do you hold it? Now, do you want to fill this in with any other cards in hand? You have mental misstep. I assume you don't have force of will. Well, well, we understand that the answer to this question is going to depend on the complete context. Naturally. But just bear with us here and just, you know. We're trying to deconstruct a a narrow aspect of this situation. Right. I mean, it often comes up, and I've seen, when we played at the Mean Deck Open, Kevin, you played in, you tutored for Ancestral and played it basically blind against me, and I countered it. Mm -hmm. You know, the typical scenario in in Vintage is that your opponent has force of will roughly 40% of the time, you're more likely to resolve Ancestral than not. Mm-hmm. Well, now in the Mental Misstep metagame... That has been turned on its head. Absolutely. So playing early Ancestral Recall, 
can can just not only I mean at least if your opponent forces they lose two cards but if they mental missed up your ancestral it's blowout bill for you yeah I mean, so it's really devastating let's try to be a little slightly more specific on right. this you have at least one land yes. that can sustain blue mana yes. you have ancestral and, and mental misstep you don't have force of will you don't have force of will is the point the or other, any other counter magic that the can other be played four, on turn one let's let's broadly categorize the other four cards in your hand another land sure. or two sure. another spell or two that a don't mox. cost one something like that right mm-hmm. so but as steve said bear with us we want to deconstruct this point down to what is your level of confidence announcing your ancestral with only mental misstep back in the current environment? Mm-hmm. And what are the consequences for for not thinking this through and unencountered or, or resolved? Right. Now, it's very interesting. It comes up much more than I ever expected it would that and you, both players have ancestral recall in their opening hand or access to it on the first turn, and one or both of them has mental misstep. Now, so I'm not trying to overcomplicate this scenario, but what I'm getting at is that your mental misstep is not only protection against their mental misstep, but it's also protection against their possible ancestral recall. This is a really important point. I mean, I think that um, (laughs) it's one of those strange aspects of mental misstep that mental misstep not only counters one casting class threats, but counters opposing mental missteps. Right. So it's like people can ask me, you know, in in my gush... Remora primer that I just wrote for Eternal Central, I said that Mystic Remora has highly synergistic with Mental Misstep. And people could say, well, why would why would you want to play Mystic Remora in a Mental Misstep metagame? Right. Well, because you're anticipating that you'll be protecting your Mental Misstep with Mental Misstep. <laughs> if, if Mystic Remora didn't cast one, cost one mana, you wouldn't be able to use your Mental Misstep that way. Right. So it's an ironic consequence of the fact that <laughs> you can protect one casting cost threats with mental misstep from their opposing mental missteps. Right. And that's kind of what I was getting at, is that right. there is such a density that this mental misstep that we're posing here is not just to protect your ancestral from their mental misstep. It serves even more function than that. You mentioned earlier in the scenario that your opponent has force of will, if only with force of will, 40% of the time, roughly. Mm-hmm. Isn't it just a simple calculus of... They're 40% likely to have force of will. Their mental misstep is counteracted by your mental misstep, so you can kind of nullify that. So you're just back to your ancestral versus their force. Exactly, which is exactly what I wanted to get people to see, is that this is a scenario that's basically pre-mental misstep. (laughs) The fact that you have mental misstep just takes you back to the time before mental misstep, really. So yes. Which is which is what which is what I'm getting at. The how mental misstep functions in metagame is is sort of ironic. Mm-hmm. But there is one one wrinkle, which is that your opponent could have two mental missteps, <laughs> <laughs> or a misstep force, of course. Right. But what I mean is that that doesn't really take you to the pre mental misstep because if they have two mental missteps, then the question is if you have two mental missteps, what confidence do you have in resolving ancestral <laughs> recall? You could even have some non trivial confidence of resolving it through a fluster storm. Right. Um, Are you on the play here? You know, you tell me. You this <laughs> scenario. It, in my opinion, it makes an increasing amount of difference if you're on the play because of Flusterstorm. Yeah. Flusterstorm has has become not not omnipresent, but mm-hmm. still common enough that if your opponent just went land go, you have to factor it in. Mm-hmm. You also have to be careful about walking into a mind break trap, though. Mm-hmm. You can't play a mox before these spells. Right. Good point. Very good point. You don't want your misstep that's protecting your ancestral to get mind break trapped, or to trigger the mind break trap to, to, to engage the trap. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
what you mentioned about your opponent possibly having double mental misstep has got to be pretty rare, all things considered. It happens, though. It's, 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 a, it's probably it's a single-digit percentage on turn one. I think we should also assume so that, Ratchet's that you the 40%. do not have Snapcaster in hand. Because you have Snapcaster, then throwing Ancestral <laughs> out there is fine. It right? makes a big difference. Yeah. I believe that, and I, I'm sorry, again, we've got a math problem that I don't have the answer to on the air here, but the, the percentage of time that they're going to have double misstep, assuming they're even playing with four, is still single-digit. So you add the forty percent of their force of will plus approximately if some single digits. You're still well. They have better another blue spell. What's the chance that one of the blue spells is the second mental misstep? Right. So you're still better than fifty percent, although not much. But you're still better yeah. than fifty percent that you're going to be able to fight through what they've done. I would I would play turn one ancestral in this as, scenario. As, I would. as with, a person with pretty good confidence. As a person who's willing to keep no landers <laughs> from scenario <laughs> one, it does not surprise me that you're willing to. What about uh, you though? Would you fire off the ancestral? I would. I know you would. I would. I'm, you, I'm pretty darn aggressive about. That and I, I just don't see any point in living in fear. Now, if we fleshed out the other it's, four it's cards, not about in living the... in fear, it's about developing to a game state where you have a better chance of resolving it. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the phrase "living in fear." Though. <laughs> it, that, it has everything to do with the rest of your hand. If we were to flesh out the rest of this hand, you already mentioned Snapcaster Mage. That very, even if you don't have it in your deck, I'm sorry. Even if you don't have it in your hand, its presence in your deck makes, makes the calculus a lot different. Yeah. And I'm much more likely to announce, even yeah. without the mental misstep, I'm much more likely to run my Ancestral out there. Is that one of the reasons you like Snapcaster so much? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> also, it has everything to do with the matchup, of course, but we're assuming that you are, you either know or are assuming your opponent's playing yeah. blue with misstep. Yeah. So we can ignore the other matchup questions, really, to a degree. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, <clears throat> do I have a longer-term plan that doesn't involve my Ancestral? Mm-hmm. If I've got Mana Drain, for example, two lands, Mana Drain, some other thing, like a Merchant Scroll, Demonic right. Tutor, and do I have a backup plan if this goes wrong? That also yeah. clearly factors in. Well, you, I, I think the, the best-case scenario is your opponent has Mental Misstep. Oh, yeah, you that, want them to at that exactly, point. That, that's, what that's what I'm getting at, is that a lot of these cards you want, when you're holding Mental Misstep, you want your opponent to have Mental Misstep, mm-hmm. which makes Mental Misstep so much stronger when you're using it Re- to, to shield your own threat mm-hmm. in a mental misstep board. That's why I think Mr. Grimoire is so strong. Yeah. It's because the best unrestricted spell to shield um, with mental misstep against your opponent's mental misstep. Mm-hmm. And that's why that deck is so strong in the current environment. I think so, yeah. <sighs> Anything else to say on this one? You uh... There's lots of ways you can set it up and think about it. So you could yeah. think, if you're curious, you know, think about what if you have one mental misstep, what if you have two mental misstep, you know? So our listeners... Those of you who are frequently playing this format, you have almost undoubtedly, in your testing or in tournament experience, fanned open a hand that had Ancestral and Misstep in it in recent weeks or months. Just like we said on Scenario 1, send us some examples of that. Send us some examples of hands you've had in testing or in tournaments with Ancestral and Misstep and what you chose to do. Yeah. Or after listening to this podcast, I'm sure you'll remember them now. Yeah, please do. Scenario three, you're on the draw, and your opponent leads off with Mox Pearl, Black Lotus, activating the two of them for fact or fiction. You do not have a counterspell in hand. You can't counter it. You can't counter it. Their fact reveals three fetch lands, those being, let's say, a Misty, a Misty, and a Delta, 
an underground sea, and Jace the Mind Sculptor. How do you split this fact? How would you split it, Kevin? <sighs> now, are we allowing the audience the luxury of what deck we're playing, at least? Are we playing a blue deck? Are we playing workshops? Oh, we, can, we can go through those and, like, imagine... What okay, well, yeah. so let's, let's answer that. Okay, so since we're on the the topic of blue decks mostly today, let's yeah. say that I'm playing a blue deck. Yeah. I'm not going to go into too much specifics, but if I'm playing a blue deck, then... And my opponent hasn't played a land yet. Now, this might be a trap. Yeah. <laughs> they could have land ancestral for all I know. Right. So this might be a trap. They've still got four cards in hand. They didn't have to protect this fact at all. Maybe that was part of their plan, was to see what I would do about this fact and then spring the real trap. So mm-hmm. I'm still wary about about what I could well, be setting up here. What trap are they setting up if they've already used their lotus? I'm just saying they haven't played a land. Land ancestral is a perfectly yeah. sure. perfectly valid trap sure. set up here. And maybe they've got a handful of counter magic. I don't know. Maybe they're really relying on this and kept it because they got double force. Right. So there's po- lots of possible hands they could be holding still. And maybe they have a no land hand. Right. So th- the land might be very valuable. Right. <clears throat> so in my opinion, there, there are two immediate things stand out to me. One is the 1-4 split. You give them Jace versus four lands. As soon as you think about that, then you realize, wait a second, I'm just... That's a straight-up gambit there as to how good the rest of their hand is. If they've got threats, if their hand is counter magic and a merchant scroll and a DT or something, then I don't want to be feeding them four lands. Wait, wait. Go back. What would you say? If the rest of their hand is force of will, merchant scroll, demonic tutor, and a land, I don't want to feed them four lands. How many lands do you want to give them then? Right. Uh, Well, and then the question becomes, well, is three lands really any different than four in that context? (laughs) Right. So... You obviously don't go two lands, two lands, Jace. That's okay. idiotic. Yeah. So really, the only question is, do you put zero or one lands with Jace, in my opinion? Mm-hmm. And which land is it? That's a good analysis. I think the marginal value of, four, of the fourth land is pretty low, like you said. The problem is that if you give them land Jace, like you described, and they have a spell already in hand, mm-hmm. you know, then... So, but they, so really, we can divide this scenario into two possibilities. They have land in hand, or they don't. Right. What do they want out of this? If they don't have land in hand, then <coughs> the land is very valuable. Right. Extremely valuable. And because if they don't get a land, if, if they didn't, don't, I mean, the chances of them drawing another land are greatly diminished. After you've just... After chun- you've removed four of them from your deck, right? That, yeah. that math is not to be underestimated there. Right. But if they do have a land in hand, then this is all just posturing. It is all just posturing. So the most dangerous scenario in my mind is if they have one land in hand yes. and they need more. Because then you're really setting yourself up to screw yourself here. If yeah. you give them the 4-1 split and they have one land in hand, I think that's the best split. Because you're making them yeah. choose. You're making them hedge on their ability to draw future lands versus the value of this Jace. You're making them with a non-obvious choice. If yeah. As soon as you put one land with Jace... And they've yeah. got one land in hand. I think the choice becomes obvious for them. They just well, snap keep the extra land plus Jace and say thank you very much. <laughs> so, so I am, in my opinion, I think it's a gambit between do they have zero or some or, or, or well, one. Really? So what would you do? You saying you saying this has become more complicated than I envisioned. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. This, this is imperfect information at its finest. I think. Okay, let's say they have no land. Yes. You go 4-1 straight off the bat. I'm, okay. not, I'm sorry, I said 4-1, meaning four lands plus Jace. Yeah. Because you don't want to give them access to the Jace. Just straight up. You could make a case that you still well, want I to go... the fourth land does actually have value. 
It does. So, you could yeah. make a case that you want to go three plus one land in Jace because yeah. then they're running a gambit if they try and get greedy and take that Jace one lander. Yeah. If they have no land, I want to split it four one because I assume that the average player is going to take the four lands to be safe. Especially since their box is a pearl, which is purely off-color in almost yeah. all modern blue decks, then well, taking just Jace there with no land in hand is a serious gambit. Here's the thing that I'm thinking. That hand is even worse than what the seven the card chance, that we just did. If you did. split three lands in one pile and land Jace in the other, what's the chance they'll take the land Jace hand? I if think they have no lands in hand. I think it all depends on how risk averse they are, so, and it also depends if they have any other one casts in there. So hand. this is this is interesting. This is interesting to me because, <laughs> as a player, you're trying to think what your opponent will do. You have to get in their head and think what what will their decision tree be? Right. You know, if I do this, because I want to make it the most yeah. difficult possible decision tree. <laughs> Obviously, we're dealing with our scenario here is still totally imperfect because I, we haven't even talked about what's in our hand. I really hope that. I really hope that Factor Fiction sees a lot of play in Vintage in the near future. Right. Because these scenarios are just great. Built, I mean, building Factor Fiction files are, I, are really I endlessly said fascinating. in our Factor Fiction discussion a few episodes ago that I like the amount of skill that it introduces. Even if yeah. it's not that good in the format, any increase in skill cards I think is a net good. Yeah. I, I, and this I is a good example. Well. I said that I thought that it, it's really skillful. I think that, um, though, there are a number of ways to approach Factor Fiction splits. And they're, they're not... I don't think there's a categorically correct way to do it. Absolutely I think, not. I mean, I think one one way, I think just to parse out between two possible ways, one is you take the two strongest cards, and then you sort of try and balance the piles. Right. Another is you take the two strongest cards and put them in one pile, and then everything else in the other, mm -hmm. and trying to get extra value from them taking the bigger pile. In one sense, this particular fact split is considerably less interesting because there's no other best card yeah. Yeah. To, to balance it out. Yeah. But it force, it, be, by virtue of that limitation, quote-unquote, it forces us to Consider zero in on other things. It really does, like the value of mana development, which isn't about... I mean, in a sense, the other four cards are all the same card. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, you know, the, the, the point... In some ways, this shows diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. You know, that car, the same thing has less value. The first one's extremely valuable, that yeah. first land is super valuable, and right. they really they have to they have to have that if they don't have it. Mm -hmm. If they don't have it, they're going to take whichever land, whichever pile has a land in it. The question, though, is this: th from my perspective, I think the second land is also extremely valuable if they don't have a land. Yeah, I agree. So I think that if they don't have a land in hand, they have to take whichever pile has at least two lands. That's why. End I, of story. That's why I say that. I, I think I the real, to real tilting point in this scenario is if they have one land or no lands in yes. hand, because then that changes completely well, the value said, of that second as land. As I said, this, this is a basically devolves down to one question: Do they have a land in hand or not? Right. If they ha have a land in hand, you you explore one set of answers, and if they don't. You explore another, but let's 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 analyze that to make sure that's the case, <laughs> because it seems to me that um, your opponent probably doesn't have a land in hand if they've made this play, they made this sequence, and you've also just popped over that many that many lands. I'm not comfortable making that assumption, but but go ahead. <laughs> I, I think we can get back to that. Go ahead. Well, okay. There are lots of ways to slice what you yeah, think they have. I guess I'll leave it at that for now. Let's let's do that. But let's slice what <laughs> let's slice it. Um, let's cut the cheese, so to speak. <laughs> if, if, if I want I want you to. I want you to to think in a different way right if now. I want you to think about who you're playing against. Because <laughs> uh, I, I know you're, you're, you're noodling out various scenarios of what kind of hand they kept. I, wanna, I want you to stop and think about who you're playing against. What do you mean? 
if I make this play against you, how does your thought process go versus if Paul Mastriano makes this play against you? Or Brian DeMars makes this play against you? Well, I think that ultimately, if a person knows they're going to be playing Factor Fiction off a Mox and a Lotus, first of all, there's a chance they they haven't made the decision yet. And so when they begin the turn, they want to play at a reasonable pace. Mm-hmm. The first thing those people typically do is play a land. Yep. And so I think they you really have to be, you know, I don't think, let me just say that uh, I think many players would just play a land if they had it in their hand first, and then play the mocks, and then play the lotus, and then struggle over whether they're going to play the fact. Okay. Now, if it's you, Brian, or Paul, I would say that you, you, you probably wouldn't play the land. You would probably go, you know, the Mox Lotus. Although, there is something to be said. If you play Mox Lotus Fact, you're triggering Mind Break Trap. Mm-hmm. So there's a real good reason just to go land Lotus Fact if you have it. There is. But let's assume that that's not in the consideration. <laughs> mind Break Trap is still not prevalent in the environment these days. And not, and not prevalent in most people's mindset, especially not in, in right. on the play in Game 1. So I think there are good reasons to think that if you're Brian Paul... I know Paul will play around my break trap down. I know you will too. So <laughs> I actually think if I was playing this today, I, d- I don't think you have land. Because I don't think you would just walk into a mind break trap. I think it's a very astute analysis that someone who is currently very aware and or cognizant of mind break trap, the fact that they went Mox Lotus spell indicates that they don't they didn't have access to land lotus spell. Right. Now, the flip side is that Playing Pearl Lotus Fact leaves you with max options if you do have a land in hand in terms of colors you would fetch for. Mm-hmm. Because if you play the land, let's say it's a fetch land, you have to commit to a particular color, a dual land. Especially if you're playing a gush deck, for example, you yeah. have to make a choice as to whether or not you're going to get the C. Pearl is off color, and Pearl is specifically yeah. in the, this the C trop choice is or Vulk key. Is, yeah, yeah. And if you're playing a four color, you're right. You're, yeah. You have to commit right there. When I play the co- my Cobra deck. I always fe- like try and fetch out Volk as quickly as possible. Were you playing with Necro in that deck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I, I always try to fetch out C when I have Necro in my Cobra I deck. Still, I still, I love the Volk because I have three main Necro Pyroblasts or Red Blasts. Okay. So yeah. that's relevant. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, I mean, but let's just set aside the, the Mind Break Trap thing, because I think that, that makes it easy to assume they don't have a land, if they're good. I think you're right. Um, I think that most people, I think the thing is, if they have a land, I still think the marginal value of the second land is so is high enough, is, is higher than the marginal value of, this, of, the, of the Jace. Don't forget they've got a Mox in play. Completely hear you. I think that ultimately, the marginal value of the second and third land is higher than the marginal value of the Jays. Now, regardless, if, even if they have one land. Let's flip the what do they have scenario so and talk about what, what other is, threats do they have. What I'm saying is I would split it three. I would split it. Three well, two. No. I'm saying I no, think I would go, split it four you one. You go four one because you I, don't want to give them I access. Split, I would split it four one. You don't want to give them access to land Jays. Right. right. I would split it four one. How many really other would. How many other threats do you think they've got in their hand? You think they've got think a they force? A you think they've got a force and three I other do. spells? I think they have a force and a lot of spells. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, I think that's perfectly reasonable. There obviously there are plenty of combinations of hands that would still lead to the same exact line of play. So you said you would split a four-one too, right? Or what did you say? What? Oh, I, I didn't say yet. Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't say yet. Oh. I'm just saying my, my first instinct was, the choice is: do you put one land with Jace or zero? That's that seems to be the clear choice in my yes. opinion. So. 
because there's no other reasonable configuration. So then the question <laughs> that I'm leads sure to is... Logic, I'm not sure where my logic leads me, but I just ultimately <laughs> said I would split 4-1. Well, no, I, I, the way I hear your logic is that you're assuming that this line of play they don't have points to them not having a land. Yes. And I, and I say that that's a very reasonable description you've given there, but it's also quite possible that their land, their hand was Force of Will, Merchant Scroll, Fact or Fiction, yeah. Land, 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 Mox Lotus. That's what I. That's the kind of hand yeah. I was referring to when I yeah. said spring no, the trap. I understand. I think though the marginal value of a fourth land in vintage is extremely low. A fourth. The, yeah, fourth land. So I mean, you mean uh, relative to the mocks they've got too? Three land plus right. a mox gets I mean, them everything they want. Basically, a fourth land has almost no value. All I you can do with that is hardcast force. When you, yeah, exactly. When you split uh, when you split uh, a pile four one, you're basically splitting it three one. But you're not. That's con- what I'm saying. You're basically splitting it three one. In the sense I see. That, I see. So if that helps you think about it that way, of course so, it does have value if they so resolve the J's. I see what you're saying. Yeah. If, you're, if you're if you're functionally splitting it three one, then that puts a lot more weight to the two versus two comparison. Two lands versus land Jace is what you're saying. Is you can kind of ignore that third land in the three two split, such that the real operative thing you're comparing is two lands versus land Jace. Actually, I was saying something different. I was saying that if you if you have the four one split. It's basically like a three-one split. Well, and that's yeah. and by extension, then oh, comparing that to the three-two split is analogous to comparing it to a two-two split. I'm confused. Explain. <laughs> Sorry. Look, you've Just got the four-one, four four lands in it versus Jace. Yep. And you're saying the, the the fourth land there is functionally invisible. You're really comparing yeah. three lands versus Jace because yeah. you don't expect to ever even use that fourth land yes. within reason. Yes. And what I'm saying it's is, card by virtue of that, you can you can change the analysis such that. The three-two split that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. three lands and Jace. Yeah, it's kind of like you could still consider the fourth land in that analysis to be invisible. You're still kind Except of comparing you moved it over here. Well, but no, <laughs> where but it requires a lot of value in the Jace land pile. It's not land four; it's land one or two. Right, which it's has not, a very high margin. Which has value. a very high right. Yeah, and so what I'm saying is you're kind of comparing land Jace versus two lands there. Oh, in a sense. In yeah. a sense, if you were splitting in sort of like equal marginal values, right? Yeah. Which, to me, makes that 3-2 split even more dangerous. Because now I'm starting to see that that 3-2 split is more like just giving them the choice of what they wanted. Yeah, you just get the most value. That's another way of looking at it. And this, I think, underscores the point that when splitting back piles, there's a number of ways to approach it. Mm-hmm. That there are multiple approaches to splitting back piles. And one thing that you should be looking at is, look again, what is it they want? And how do you approach what they want? As opposed right. to just balancing value. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, we're not giving our listeners, again, the benefit of our hand. But there's obviously a whole other side about what do you want them to have. Yes. <laughs> because you could have a, a hand that has no counter magic, for example. Yep. At which point, you want to you want to slow them down, basically. I think... You uh, want them to not have a relevant so, threat early. So what is your answer to that question? What would you do? In my opinion, 4-1... Is yeah. is the the reasonable solution because three two gives them too much choice to take what they really wanted. Right. So there's no way you're going to give them Jason two lands. Absolutely. The only question is whether you give them Jason a land. And I think that the, from my perspective, just to to reiterate for the tenth time, I don't think they have a land in hand, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to give them the spell. I think the value of the fourth land is very low, so I'm basically giving them three lands, and a, or Jace mm-hmm. is an option. There's no way I'm going to give them a land. In, there's no way I would give them land, land, Jace. Like mm-hmm. we just said, you would eliminate that as a possibility because that's just strictly superior to land, land. Right. So, the, but the, the the interesting thing becomes, what if it's what if it's something that can be played faster, not like Jace? What if it's like a demonic tutor or uh, a merchant yes. scroll? 
or a brainstorm. If it can be played faster, doesn't that just make it more likely that you want to split it with four no lands? One. Exactly. Four and one. That's what I'm driving at. Yeah. Which I think reveals that the proper answer is probably four one. If it was ancestral, <laughs> taken to the extreme, yes. if it was ancestral recall, yes, you would good. obviously do four one. Yes. If it's demonic tutor, you still obviously do four one. Mm-hmm. The only reason we even considered putting any lands with the other spell was because Jace is so relatively slow yep. that you're starting to hedge now thinking about, well, do they get more value out of getting four lands out of this deal? Yeah. And as your analysis revealed, they really don't. It's really more so, like three lands. But let's go to the, the, uh, the other thing. What if they do have one land in hand? Does giving them land, does giving them, and they split it, the four lands and the Jace, what are they going to do? If they have just one land? Yeah, in their hand. They're going to take the four lands. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Which means Unless there are some extreme... That con- works like the better for you. Well, but there yeah, are some constre- extreme configurations, I think, of their hand that will tell them to take Jace. If, if the other four cards in their hand are a land, like we said, Force of Will, Mental Misstep, Ancestral Recall, if they've got a hand like that, mm-hmm. then they might take Jace. Because they're hedging on... Right. They're going to have two mana and expecting to resolve Ancestral that same turn... You didn't right. counter they factor have four fiction. Four lands in their hand. You give them four. I mean, four cards in their hand. You give them four lands. They can play a land and pass. So they'll have seven cards. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna. I mean, I think. I think where I'm coming down is, if they have no lands in their hand, they have to take the four land pile. If they have one land in their hand, they still have to take the four land pile, unless they have a land and like a really efficient. Spell. Unless they have ancestral. In which basically. case, it doesn't matter. Or I mean, they could have demonic tutor plus some counter magic. That'd still be in which keepable. Which case, it doesn't matter though. It's the same result. Yeah, that's right. I think. In, in either of those cases, you want them to not have the option to take lands and Jace. Mm-hmm. In, in any amount, you just don't want them to have the option. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say the 3-2 split is basically giving them what they want. <laughs> I think in, in almost every reasonable outcome, they get to take what they want out of the 3-2 split. So we're agreed. Yep. 4-1. Let us know what you think. I don't know. I think it, after we dug into that one, it started to become a little easier to evaluate. Yeah, it just it, <laughs> please send us more factor fiction files. <laughs> They're fun to play with. Absolutely. Scenario four came out in testing, Steve. You were playing were you your Gush Remora deck, yes. is that right? Against yes. Theo's red workshops deck again? Yeah. So this is in the mid game and Theo plays a jar. Tell us about the setup this here. Is, so the setup is um on his third turn, he played uh, Memory Jar. And his lands are Mishra's Workshop, Ancient Tomb, Mountain, Memory Jar, and he has a Revoker in play that he played the turn before, a, a Phyrexian Revoker on Black Lotus. Um, my hand had Black Lotus, <laughs> <laughs> but it also uh, had Island and Flooded Strand. So I think basically he went like turn one threat, which I forced. Then I played a land. Then he played Revoker, which resolved. And then I played a fetch land, and he played Mountain Memory Jar, tapping his Ancient Tomb and his Workshop. So he has a Memory Jar in play. It's my turn, and I draw a card. I do not have another land. But my hand is, uh, let's just say Black Lotus. No, um... Yeah, sure. Black Lotus, Tinker, Flusterstorm, Mental Misstep, Hercules Recall, Mental uh, Mystic Remora. Yeah. Run through that one more time. Black Lotus, Tinker, Flusterstorm, Mental Misstep, Hercules Recall, 
Mr. Grimora. Now, um, yeah, let's so, assume the Black Lotus is in the hand. So a handful of those are dead. The Lotus is effectively dead. Flusterstorm is effectively dead. Tinker, for the moment, is dead. Mental Misstep is... Mental Misstep is theoretically he has, live. He has Goblin Welders, yeah. He has his Welders, and Hercules Recall is clearly live. And you have Mystic Remora, which is clearly live. Right. So the question, the scenario is set up this way. And you, you only have two lands. The, the scenario is set up this way. Basically, you have two options. You can Hercules Recall him now. Sorry, three options. That's you say, Hercules, three. You could Hercules Recall him now. Thereby putting Jar back in his hand, thereby increasing the likelihood that he's not going to Jar next turn, right. since he didn't you, last and turn. you can play the Lotus that way. Oh, right. You could play Lotus and, and turn that on. Yes. Or you could play Mystic Remora mm-hmm. with your island leaving the fetch land up. And only Mystic Remora. Or you could do nothing and pass. Thereby leaving up the possibility of misstep. Well, misstep's uh, uh, alive. Thereby leaving the Hercules on his turn. I'm assuming he's going to break the jar on his own. If you just pass. Or after his draw step. Right. Yeah. So the question is, do you want to hold up the Hercules recall so you can like... Or his end step, perhaps, yeah, to blow him for, out. For his end step. Yeah. Or, or just up, keep mana up. up so you see what you draw in the jar. Right. What kind of relevant instance would you have with your two mana on his turn? Your deck doesn't well, have mana drain. Brainstorm. Brainstorm would Vampiric, be highly good. Vampiric Tutor. Also highly good. And uh, and Force of Wills. Which are irrelevant for the mana considerations. No, it's, but... Yeah. Unless he plays Spheres or Lodestones. Right. So realistically, if you let him... Mental for Walder. He's likely to play he's likely to play Walder if he draws it because he's a mountain. So. Yeah. Naturally, so but that's free. So and, me, and mind barrier traps can, can be drawn and come online. If you play Hercules right now, you can play your Lotus. You would have the option of also playing Mystic Remora off your Lotus that that way. That seems like a egregious use of a Lotus, but <sighs> it's not without merit, though. If he replays Jar, you're going to get to draw a card off your Remora right there. Yep. You're going to tap your basic island. He'll replay. Revoker, not naming Lotus this time. In, Why wouldn't he? Well, okay, maybe not. You're right. He he may, he might he might not. But he'll replay Revoker. Oh wait, he can't go Revoker Jar next turn unless he draws a mana source. Unless he draws a mana source. Yeah. And if that mana source is a Mox, you're going to be super happy that you played Mystic Remora. Yes. Or you play Mystic Remora and let him Jar and just try to capitalize. But all the cards you draw so under you Mystic do? Remora from the Jar don't help you. So what's your plan? What are you going to do? When we discussed this before, I did not take into account his Revoker being in play and my possible access to my Lotus. I'm starting to really like Hercules him on my main phase, go Lotus Remora, holding Misstep, Flusterstorm, Tinker. Hmm. Because his Revoker is... St- What's our? Do you know what our life total is? Is it an issue? It's really early. Yeah, it's not He an hasn't issue. damaged you, has it's not he? An issue. Maybe you forced... His I revoker is a is a, He's attacked me. He's attacked me at least once. He attacked with me revoker. Yeah, so you're probably at 17. His revoker is not much of a threat, especially if you announce, if you bounce it and play and use Lotus. It's really not that much of a threat. He could hedge against Lotus or against Yogmoth's will by naming Lotus again. He could blind call a Mox, which is pretty low value for him. I'm not worried about that. So it's all about the jar, in my opinion. In which case, to me, the best possible scenario right here is that. I bounce his jar and have Rebora in play the, when he replays the it. The thing that scares me about that is that he can play the jar and use it next turn and expect to draw more, like another shop, in mana acceleration. 
Okay, that's so that's I, valid. You're right. The and, reason he and, didn't do it last turn is because he played a land. I if I if I play Lotus Remora, then I won't have any mana left in play to play things like. You'll have one. No, I've used the Lotus. I herc- use the two lands. No, and no, no I mean on his turn. I have no mana. Up. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm, I was mixing it up with casting the the Remora normally. So I won't be able to brainstorm if I draw it, or vamp if I draw it, or mystical if I draw it. That is only three cards out of. 51 or 2, 50 or 51. <laughs> and it's a pretty low percentage. Uh, it's, know, it's pretty low. It's less than 10%. There's nothing else. I guess there's no drain in that deck. Your forces are still alive. Yeah. See. And I, I, unfortunately, you're going to draw a bunch of cards off Remora <sighs> that are all going to go to the bin if you don't use them. So you're not getting. But you do get at least one card from the, the, the jar itself. So next turn, assuming you... He, something he plays is going to resolve, though. You're not going to be able to fight off all his stuff under his jar if he draws a, ma- a land. So your plan is is you're committed to Hercules. Well, no, hold on. I'm not committed. I'm starting to, starting to rethink. I liked the idea of him having a jar in play, but then you pointed out that he gets a land drop, which is the difference between last turn and next turn. Yes. So he's much more likely to jar next turn. In fact, I would call it almost a certainty. Yeah. That he would go... The only question is whether he does not his upkeep or after his draw step. Well, no, I mean, if I Hercules him oh, now, yeah. he's going to tap Ancient Tomb and Shop, replay Jar, and Jar right then, yes. getting the benefit of a land drop plus any mocks. And yes. I'm going to be able to mental misstep a Welder. No, no, yes. no, that's not right. Maybe. if you draw. No, I have to draw step. into it. I would expect, given the configuration of your Remora list, to be able to counter two spells. Like, draw a Mind Make Trap and a Force. Any combination like of your ten free counters yeah. is going to stop two of his spells. It's almost, yeah. it's almost a certainty. Yep. Unless you draw a mental, double mental misstep and he happens to draw no Welder. That's yeah. the only... But that's not likely. Yeah. Any combination of Forces, Missteps, and Mind Break Traps are probably all going to be live. Yep. So then the, the real calculus is... He's pretty likely to draw three or four threats. Yeah. Are you going to be able to maneuver it such that you counter the right ones of those and then win the game? This is this is why my answer to this question is to play Mystic Remora and pass. I because think you think that gives you the most the best likelihood to counter all his things in the jar, and it's already in play, so you can untap and hopefully, you know, it also gives you the the, the best chance to maximize to play brainstorm vamp stuff like that with the other land. My my play is basically designed to remove five mana and, from his mana pool during his jar play, turn. you keep the Hercules in your hand so you can use it later. Right. My, my play is designed to keep five mana out of his mana pool, basically, during his jar turn. Right. At the cost of my one mana. And the card in your hand, the Hercules. Right. You lose the Hercules. How many Hercules were in that list? Just one. Just one. There's two tri- Trigon Peddlers. Which don't really help you in this scenario. I just scenario. think, though, that the Mr. Grimoire in play definitely helps you counter more threats because well, you're probably going to draw one or two we, more cards. We both have Mr. Grimoire in play. It's just you have access to one right. mana. Right, that's true. So and he has access to five more mana against you. That's true. There's uh, With my line of play, there's a very real possibility he doesn't have enough mana to play three threats even. If he jars into a shop, he's still only got Mountain Shop plus whatever Moxon he drew. If he plays a Welder, let's assume he plays a Welder, because it's yeah. a very high likelihood, I think. You have just as much chance to misstep it, don't you? Yeah, the math is equal. Three versus three left in your library, I would say. In the actual no, it's, it's four versus three. In the actual sorry. scenario, I drew force, force, brainstorm. You you just went Remora go. I went Remora go. And you drew and force, he, force, he brainstorm. Broke the that's jar sick. And I drew four, force, brains, force, force, brainstorm. 
Brainstorm is but, the wild card there, though. You're you, you're very low likelihood to draw it, but if you do, it's such a blowout. <laughs> you said wild card. Well, it, it is. It's like the it's, Joker's wild. I mean, no other card is as impactful to the results of that scenario yeah. as Brainstorm is right there. I drew Brainstorm, because, but, he, but he played he played Lodestone Golem Naturally. First. So I had and I did not draw anything off Mr. Moore with that. Okay. Played, I mean, yeah. how many blue cards did you get? Did you get enough to power both forces naturally? I think so, yeah. Or did you have to brainstorm into a, another blue card? I don't remember, actually. Okay. So, so he plays Lodestone, which is to be expected. Yeah, I forced but it. But what, what... He, I ended up he probably he probably, tapped, uh, he probably tapped Workshop Ancient Tomb to play Lodestone Golem, yes. right? So he's got Mountain plus a Mana yes. Floating. What and happened he, after that? Uh, I actually think he played another Lodestone Golem. Couple of mocks and lodestone yeah, too. I think I drew one card and then it was another lodestone golem. He I must, don't remember exactly. Unless he played mana crypt, he must have drawn two more cards at least. <laughs> oh no, I'm skipping <laughs> a that ancient tomb. Or he didn't, I'm skipping a land drop. Sorry, yeah. you're right. It's quite possible that he didn't. But I don't remember exactly. But my recollection was that he may have had another lodestone golem. Boy, I fear that your. But I still was happy with the Mister Grimora though. I fear that your conclusion is colored by the fact that you drew brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> It's Which far it's fair. far from a sure thing. Right. Now there there are enough one casting cost instants to make your decision perfectly defensible between the Mirage Tutors oh, and Brainstorm. Also draw ancestral. And Ancestral. Well, how much does that really help you though? Well, it can it's, help you find counter spells. Yeah, I know, but I think that's pretty marginal. If you've got Mystic Remora in play and you draw seven cards <laughs> you're, you're, with that particular deck, your odds you of finding counter spells are pretty think, high. I think yeah, my hand actually had I think it was force Trigon Predator, Force Brainstorm, and Mana. Yeah. So I had to decide whether to pitch Brainstorm with the second one. Or cast it. I, cast, I think I cast it, and I didn't see another blue spell. Really? So, so his second Lodestone resolved? Yeah, I think it resolved. And what did you put back on top with Brainstorm? Trigon, I'm, uh, I'm guessing? Probably, something like that. And I think I resolved it, yeah. And then that would lead to the win right there. Well, I wasn't able to play it immediately, but I was very shortly thereafter. Oh, yeah, you would have to wait a turn. You'd take some damage, go down to like 10, play Trigon... Go down to five or four. Yeah. The Trigon, his, uh, lodestone. his lodestone. And, it was something like something that. Something like that. <clears throat> well, I think that either decision is defensible. I think that if I make my decision where I Hercules him, oh. then look what he does. He just goes lodestone, and you only have to have one counter for it, really. Yeah, I was thinking I might have actually just untapped Hercules and then played Trigon or something like that. Ah. Like. If you, well, you didn't have a lot of mocks. Oh, Lotus. Yeah. That's right, you had yeah, Lotus. Lotus in my hand, yeah. That's Something right. Something like that. I don't remember So exactly. if you had another land or a Mox, you could make that play. Yeah. Hercules him, play Trigon, and then that game's over at that point. Yes. It was something like that. Well, very interesting scenario. <laughs> Not that Memory Jar is common. I don't even play it, right? No, that's but... true. I'm a big fan of Memory Jar and Workshop decks, though. But it does, I think this scenario does raise questions about, really, you, know, you like it right now in, like, in mud and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think so it's a huge threat. That. It is, it is. It also, it always, also varies directly with how much Null Rod you're playing. Yeah, I want to say that with Metal, Phyrexian Metamorph. <laughs> I'll draw 14 cards. <laughs> wow, um, that's not even what I was thinking of. But if you have Welders, I think you definitely God. run Jar. Because oh with God. Welders, if you run Welders and you run Null Rods, which oh. is not a sure thing, yeah. you can still weld out your own Null Rods in certain oh, scenarios yeah. and then Jar and then replay right a, a Null Rod. Yeah, something like that. I forgot what I was going to say, but uh, this is an interesting scenario. And um, the scenario, what I think it brings into focus though is a really important question of when you play Mystic or more and under what circumstances. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like and how limited your mana is, and, and specifically its value against workshops. Yeah. Obviously, it, it's inside of a jar. <laughs> it starts to have diminished value, so it's kind of an awkward scenario. 
but still highly relevant about how many cards are they going to let me draw if I play this what early. What do you need to do in a jar? And it's sort of, in a, in a sense, it's like a mini game. It's like a Scheherazade. Right, right. <laughs> you could rejigger this scenario such that you were on the play, you forced their first spell, and it's your turn two. Mm-hmm. And you have Remora. Or you have Hercules. You, you well, let's say you, you had Hercules from the start, but you haven't cast it yet. Let's yeah. say you just drew Remora. Yeah. The same kind of calculus would come into play. You've got two lands. Yeah, you've got some kind of some counters. You have to play Remora though. Remora is like a dark confidant. Well, and that's what I'm getting yeah. at. Let's say your opponent still has four or five cards in hand, which is yeah. about what they have in a jar hand. Your choice is: do you play Remora there or not? I think it's much more obvious when the jar is not involved, <laughs> because you're getting so much long-term <laughs> benefit. Saying. The jar causes this Remora calculus to be a little turned on its head because you don't get the benefit from any of the cards you draw except for that turn. Right. So it's like a little counterspell ritual for you <laughs> you're saying the the scenario sans memory jar brings into focus what the real answer is exactly it, it sort of uh, clears away the detritus right and makes it the right. real answer more obvious yeah well i think that i don't know what i would have done in a real in-game scenario there i really liked what i had set up there with <laughs> with the Hercules lotus remora but it, it really has a lot to do with how much you expect to draw one casting cost instant. <laughs> That's not, there it's, are four. It's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's highly relevant. Yeah. All right. All As right. we've said with all these other scenarios, tell us what you think. Uh, <laughs> this one, it's a little hard to draw parallels to other games, but I'm sure that our listening audience is smart enough to come up with it. For our next scenario, we assemble the Doomsday device. <laughs> Scenario 5 involves the Doomsday deck. So why don't you set this one up for our audience? Okay, so this is the, this is the puzzle that I asked in the, the very end of my Doomsday, uh, Doomsday Report article for Eternal Central. And no one, a single person, emailed or responded to this question. So we <laughs> thought we'd put this in the podcast. This is a real stumper. Okay, and your opening hand is Underground Sea, Polluted Delta... Black Lotus, Thought Seas, Force of Will, Mystical Tutor, and Doomsday. That's seven cards. Three mana, Thought Seas, Force, Mystical Tutor, and Doomsday. Okay. Now, you play Underground Sea, Thought Seas, your workshop opponent, and you see the following seven cards. Ancient Tomb, Talarian Academy, Chalice of the Void, Chalice of the Void, Black Lotus, Thorn of Amethyst, Sphere of Resistance. The question is, what card do you take and why? Now, we've talked about this one already Yeah. with a handful of our friends and teammates. This one is very, very deep. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you read that nice and deliberately so that our audience can really picture the scenario. You have access to turn one Doomsday, which is <laughs> awesome. Yes. And your opponent's playing Workshops. Which means turn two Doomsday. Oh, yeah. Which is a win, rather. Two Possibly. Win. And your yeah. opponent's playing Workshops, which means you I mean, know... Doomsday, literally in the first case, figuratively in the second. <laughs> <laughs> so you know your opponent is not going to stop you from casting it right now. Mm-hmm. But their hand 
almost certainly disrupts you from winning right. so shortly thereafter. So th exactly. So there's the explicit question, which is what do you take and why? And there's the implicit question, which is... What's your plan? What's your plan? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Your opponent has access to Chalice, Chalice, Sphere, Sphere, and they have enough mana within reason to cast a lot of them really quickly, especially given a Telerian Academy. And Black Lotus. And Black Lotus. So they can, let's just, taking literally, they can play Lotus, Chalice Zero, for example, to to get maximum mana out of their Academy, which would give them access to one, two, three, four, five. They have, their other land is Ancient Tomb, right? Right. So even if they don't play Chalice at Zero, they have access to five at minimum. Right. You have access to one Force of Will, so you get to stop one thing, so it's pretty clear... You can stop two cards out of his hand. Thoughtseize one of them. Oh, you're, right. You're Thoughtseizing and then forcing the other. So, okay, you're right. You get you get to you, surgically choose, basically, two things to stop here. Right. But it seems pretty clear that even after you stop two, they have access to to theoretically play the other two. Exactly. Or resolve the other two, even at on the first turn. At least one of the other two. At least one, at least one of the four things, the four threats you're worried about is going to happen on turn exactly. one. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> then the question is, which one of those four things... Okay, it's not really four, but which one of those things do you want to happen? Exactly. And because it's Chalice of the Void, it actually represents more than one thing. Yes. Technically. <laughs> because they could play it... Reasonably, they could play it at zero or one. There's so, such a complicated scenario. I mean, so you're facing at we, least think, one of Chalice at zero, Chalice at one, Sphere of Resistance is going to be in play when you start your second turn. Yes. I think we can, if you go Lotus Doomsday right now, which is not a given, but if you yeah. do go Lotus Doomsday right now, it's fair to say that every one of those plays disrupts you or, or influences your choice in one way or another. Well, the first thing we need to evaluate is what is it you would normally Doomsday for? Well, the doomsday, the doomsday when you say power. normally doomsday for, you mean what's the standard regardless yeah. of scenario? Okay, yeah. so as you said it forth in your article, mm -hmm. the standard is? Uh, it's it's Ancestral Recall. Mm -hmm. Into? Uh, Black Lotus, Laboratory Maniac, and Gush. And then the fifth spell, whatever it might be. Which would be typically the safety valve of Yawgmoth's Will. Yes, right. Yawgmoth's Will. And undisrupted, that play would win the game next turn, as right. it, in general it does. But do you have? Do you, let's get this out of the way. Do you have any way to win the game right now? No. Okay. There's, there's no gush in your hand. You don't have two lands in play. So you're playing for next turn at the very least. <clears throat> Given that standard stack, can you make that stack work if there is a sphere or a chalice one or a chalice zero in play? Well, you have to have build a completely different stack. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what's the, the the implicit question is what, what stack would you build? Right. If you play Doomsday now. And you have access to how many lands? Two lands. There's a, delta, a C in play and a Delta in your hand. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you should switch it and play the Delta, actually. I think you probably sh are supposed to play Delta. No, you're, you're thought seizing them. Yes, so you play Delta and break it for a C, because you, if you play Doomsday, you're, there's not going to be a C in your deck. <laughs> so, wow. I'm sorry. You're right. That's, that's Doomsday 101 right there, but, <laughs> but you and I both missed it up until just now. Yes, absolutely. If you're playing into Doomsday right now, you better fetch a land out because there isn't going to be one next time. <laughs> 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 that's that's hilarious. So, <clears throat> if you take a Sphere of Resistance, let's say, let's just pick an example, mm -hmm. and you have Force of Will, you can stop another Sphere of Resistance. I, th I think what we should if, do... If you do that, five though... Targets. We if, can limit, you can't take an Academy or Tomb. So it's five targets, and the question is, 
It does the Lotus Thorn Chalice Chalice Sphere. Mm-hmm. And you can take one out and then you can force another. You can funnel them down a path of having either the two spheres or mm-hmm. the two chalices. If you feel like one of those provides you with a better path to victory. Right. The Each one of them removes your ability to to produce the standard stack. So you're t- talking about a custom stack in any Every scenario. Every single one of those cards r- removes it. Chalice at one stops your ancestral. Yep. Chalice at zero, zero stops, stops your lotus. lotus. <laughs> and sphere, sphere makes just... your laboratory maniac cost four. The thorn does not. Right. Thorn, uh, neither chalice affects your, your laboratory maniac either. Right. So. <clears throat> Which is probably one of the critical puzzles, pieces of this puzzle. And that's why I didn't, you know, I just said it now. Right. The spheres don't stop us from winning. Even with the standard stack, the spheres don't stop us from winning. They just slow us down. They can stop you from winning unless you build in the mana into the stack. You need more mana. No, the, uh, a single sphere doesn't stop that stack from winning. You can sure still does. No, you can still play your second land and play Ancestral next turn and pass. Yes. The but following turn, you pay one, play Lotus, pay another one, play Laboratory Maniac, that's and true. pass. You're sure. winning three turns later with the standard stack. That's true. That's true. Um, in fact, right. it's only two turns later because you got a draw step in there. Right. You this could is fabulous. You could construct bubbles. a better one, though. I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask something right off the bat. Assuming you <clears throat> thought seize one sphere and force the other, yeah. is there a stack that wins next turn through Chalice Zero and Chalice One? If you put Gush on top. You could gush into Lotus Maniac. does not win, but it gets it in play. No, because there's a Chalice Zero in play. Oh, you're right. Yeah. If there, if you let them have Chalice Zero and Chalice yeah. One, can you win next turn? I no. think the answer is no. I don't think... I don't think you have that. access to Hercules Recall, though. Sure, you could put Hercules Recall. <laughs> but then you're only... You, you have to start... the Hercules. You have to yeah. start with Gush, and therefore you're drawing Hercules and card X. Oh, and that's no, right. You could gush into Hercules and then card X. And there's no one card that lets you go any further. You're out of mana because you, you played... And you can't put Ancestral there because you would have no deck. Correct. Yes. You, so it's only going to be gushes and maniacs left <laughs> at that point. Yeah. And you're still forcing yourself to two turns from now. I think one helpful way of thinking... I like where you're going with this, but I think we should just try and be a little more organized about it and say, okay. what are the possibilities? Well, no, that's what I was getting at. Thought is, force. Yeah, I'm the, trying to rule out things. What are the pairs things. of two? You could take Lotus Thorn... Lotus oh, there's chalice. really only there's there's only four choices, obviously, because the chalices are duplicate. So one right. of the two spheres, and they are functionally different, mm-hmm. the lotus or yes. one of the chalices. Let's talk about the most interesting one, I think, and let's talk okay. about taking the lotus. Yeah, you take the lotus. I don't think that's the most interesting, but go ahead. Oh well, oh, go ahead. I think it's the most spicy. I think the spiciest <laughs> is actually. I mean, I I think that the spiciest is actually them playing lotus and you force it. Okay. All right. For psychological effect. Okay. No, that you're right. That's also extremely especially spicy. especially if they commit to the academy first. Oh God! Yeah. What, a, what a blowout! I don't yes. think any intelligent opponent. would I don't do think that. so either. But it's <laughs> okay. So, but hold yeah. on. I started down the road, so let's go down that road. Yeah. You take the lotus. You're leaving them with all four lot components. They're going to get a draw step, so we have to keep that variable in there. But ignoring what the draw is for the moment, they are maxed out at two, at two mana there. Right. They're maxed with Ancient Tomb. If you take the Lotus? If you take the Lotus. Yes. All they have is Ancient Tomb. Now, if they drew a Shop or a Mox, that changes the math a little bit. Right. But not, not 
A mox changes it a fair bit. It's still the same if they play Academy Chalice Zero. Then they have one mana from Academy. Oh no! Wait a second. I lied. A mox doesn't change it. It only adds. A, a mox it doesn't add two a, like I was thinking it Chalice, did. If they draw a mox and they play Chalice Zero, then the Academy taps for two as well. So yes, you're right. They have three mana if they draw a mox that way. So they have three mana. Yes. So it's the same as the Ancient Tomb. So mox still only just adds one. If they draw yes. a workshop, they still only have three. Exactly. So you take Lotus, you're barring gonna... barring mana crypt. Yes. They're, they're stuck at three mana next yes. turn. And three mana is convenient because they can't, they can't do... two things, yeah. Well, they can... Besides chalices. I was going to say, chalices yeah. zero can be one of the two things, yes. but that's it. Yes. So taking Lotus there, caps them at three mana. They have to choose, then, one of the things. And if you force it, aren't you just going off with them having no lock piece in play if you take Lotus right now? Oh, chalice zero is the only thing they could have in play. Right. I mean, it's it's interesting because. But if you take Lotus, they're almost they're almost guaranteed fighting, to have. You're chal- fighting at different levels here. I mean, you're fighting them, fighting your stack, yeah. fighting their mana production too. Because yeah. every spell that they resolve helps them get their academy online. What I'm and every turn you give them gives them more mana to play more threats. Yeah, taking the Lotus is very interesting because you're you are effectively saying you're going to start your turn with Chalice Zero in play. Regardless yes. of what path line they take, you're just going to force it. Yes. And unless they drew mana crypt. Yeah, you cannot stop a chalice from zero unless you take Thoughtseize the chalice and counter the other one. Counter the other one. At which point you're just committing to having a sphere in play, or two, because then they'll have <laughs> then they'll have the lotus and then a, and tomb, so they'll play. Uh, not on turn one though. Sure they will. Why wouldn't they go lotus no, no, ancient it, tomb it, sphere it, thorn? Why wouldn't they? But you w- that scenario is predicated on you countering chalice at one. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They can't no, have no, Chalice no. at one and oh, less I spheres. I see what you're saying, yeah. No, it, no, what I'm saying If you is, take Chalice and counter Chalice, what, they're going to have a sphere in play on your well, turn. What they could do is they could go, you could Thoughtseize one of the Chalices, then they could go Lotus, Chalice, right? Academy, Sphere, Tomb, a Sphere, Thorn. Yeah. And then they'd have three lock parts in play on turn one. I see. I see what you're getting Including at. Chalice to zero, yeah. But, they, yeah, you're right. So, you're also battling against their sequencing, as you've clearly pointed out, with the possibility of countering Black Lotus. The, the spicy part about countering Black Lotus is that if you leave them with double Chalice, you're really amping up the likelihood that they're going to go Lotus Chalice Zero. No, wait a second. But if you counter Lotus, they're still going to play Chalice Zero in yeah. order to get mana out of but, Academy, but, aren't they? Chalice Zero is sort of a double-edged sword here. It, it's kind of comforting to know they're not going to be able to that for their moxin to accelerate out, if right. you can keep them their academy small, but it, you can kind of bottleneck them. And but it slows you down a fair bit. It does unless I mean, unless <laughs> uh, unless your pile features fast bond. <laughs> you're, you're but that's actually fast bonding. No, that's not a possibility though. You would ha- Unless you, you, put, have to, you have to put mana. a Tropical Myland in your <laughs> yeah. stack. Yeah. You could gush into Trop Fast Bond, but then you're still waiting a turn. There's nothing wrong with putting lands in your stack. In fact, you're probably going to put a land in, in, in your stack here. I mean, you're almost certainly going to. And if this deck had Mana Drains, which it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with putting a Mana Drain in this stack either, in my <laughs> opinion. But we don't have that option. But your point is well made. You are dealing with almost perfect information, and you know that they have very little that can really threaten you is if you have enough time to plan. Right. In fact, in my opinion, one of the worst things they could draw off the top would be Wasteland. Yes. That would, no matter how much planning you do, 
You just need to put lands in your pile. If they draw wasteland, I mean, it's really th- rough. In, in this scenario, it's actually not a terrible idea just to put four lands in a Maniac or something like, in a variant of that. Mm-hmm. Honestly. I mean, all you're trying to do... I mean, I, I would not... If you put, like, two or three lands in the Doomsday Pile, that's not far from that's far from crazy here. Did we already establish if this was pre- or post-board? This is... unestablished. We don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's semi... I was thinking, that what you just described about the Maniac hinges a little bit on how many answers they have to Maniac. What, would they have Duplicant? I mean... Like, Red Elemental Blast... Assume this is this is mono brown. This, this is mono brown. Yeah. So then you're talking about duplicate or trike. In which case, I agree with you. In which case, if you just set up your pile as land maniac, for example, and you take their sphere, you could you could literally set it up island 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 maniac island. Or well, I, I wouldn't put the maniac that far down though. Yeah, I know. I, I would take their sphere of resistance. None of what they've got in hand matters if you just go land Maniac. Because Thorn doesn't stop to slow the Maniac. It seems like the Lotus is a losing proposition, though. The Lotus is going to get stopped. Well, your, maybe not. Maybe do, not. Wait, 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 do you mean your Lotus? Yeah, but post, post-D-Day Lotus. Oh, yeah. I, you're right. I don't think Lotus goes in the stack. I think if you're confident, if you understand the matchup well enough and what their outs really are, then a simple stack that starts with land Maniac, the other three cards can be anything i would put i would put a gush in there there's kind of there's kind of no reason not to if you're planning on having three lands right in fact wait a second wait a second hold on if if your if your pile if your pile is land maniac chalice one and chalice zero become irrelevant right let's 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 forget the other three cards for the moment becomes irrelevant but you're gonna say go you've taken their sphere you you let Thorn and Chalice's resolve, I guess. Yes. And you go to your turn. You play a third land and say go. You have Force of Will online with a Thorn in play. Yes. They assuming they play a, a threat that matters. Yes. You force it. Yes. You play Maniac on turn three. Yes. You have you have no you have no cards in hand. You're you're empty handed with land 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 Maniac on the board. Yes. And they have Thorn two Chalices and whatever they're about you to draw. Draw Gush and win the game. I was just gonna say you don't you just stack two Gushes in there. Well, you would be you would stack gush land. You uh, want a fourth land in case you get wasteland. No, um, okay, no, that's relevant. Or but, they have another sphere. But I was saying there there were three three mystery cards after the maniac. Two of them are gushes, and one of them is still a mystery. Oh, and, oh I see what you're saying. Yeah, and so one of them is a land. You could, so you would put gush land, gush. I think. I, I maybe like gush Hercules land or something like that. But don't you want to win on turn four if if possible? Yes. Gush doesn't win you on turn four. It draws you the last two cards in your library. Oh. So I want to put two gushes in there because okay. I've got three lands. Sure. Even if they played Lodestone Go to my tap two. You're gonna have two lands in play on turn four though? If they don't waste you, you are. Because you played your third land on turn two or in turn three. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I needed an extra turn in there so to play my third land. Well we could put time walk in the pile. <laughs> if no. you if you if you stack your cards the as time walk mania. land maniac. No no. You you would stack it you would stack it land, maniac Time Walk Gushland. If you're thought seizing and forcing them, why not put Time Walk next turn to get into land three and then say go? With no force in hand and you've stopped both their spheres. Just, yeah, just move, remove the card. Yeah, it's, it's the not the same thing, though. You're getting Maniac. Tanglewire, you're getting a third land in play before their second that. turn. Tanglewire, pretty rough. Man. Man, that's deep. 
I think um, I think that you're getting at the right idea, though, which is what I wanted to drive at, which is that Maniac doesn't care about Thorn. Maniac mm-hmm. doesn't care about Chalice 1 or 0. Mm-hmm. So you need to think about how do you minimize all their outs and how do you do it in the quickest amount of time. Sphere of Resistance is certainly the most threatening card right. for them to have in play. And Black Lotus loses a lot of its value. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, I kind of think that... I also kind of think that, you know... The first thing you need to acknowledge when you're a Doomsday player is you can't just win the game here with mm-hmm. this hand. Mm-hmm. So you need to sort of come to emotional grips with that, <laughs> and then and then begin teasing out the response. You know how do you how do you respond to the situation right. in totality, as opposed to trying to needle the thread because it's not possible. Now, what is possible that we haven't explored is what if your opponent makes suboptimal plays, and this is something I, was, I wanted to talk about, which is that. Sometimes your best plan is assuming your opponent is not the brightest. <laughs> and I say that because... Or let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're at least inexperienced with the matchup. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, too often, I think this is especially true for you, Kevin, is that you assume that your opponent is you know knows what they're doing and, and can play optimally. I, I think that this hand presents opportunities for exploiting suboptimal play. So, I mean, you can, you know, forecast all the permutations your opponent may, may, might make. But some of them might ultimately have to hinge on your opponent not playing the best and have you maximize the value for that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this hand requires you to plan because you've got you've to make a doomsday pile. And if you miscalculate the doomsday pile, you will lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a high-stakes decision. You have to put a lot of emphasis on what they're their possible top decks are too. Yeah, it changes things dramatically. So I think what you're sort of leaning, what I, I mean, I think that there's nothing wrong with taking the lotus and then countering a sphere, because if you take the lotus, you take out a lot of their mana, and you force them to commit to a line of play. So if you take the lotus, then they'll probably go ancient tomb, chalice for zero, and then either chalice for one or sphere, right? Or thorn, you mean? Well, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, you took lotus. You're right. Yeah. If you take the Lotus with with with, with Thoughtseize, which I think is fine, there's yeah. nothing wrong, you know. If they're playing against Doomsday, the if they're playing against Doomsday, they're going to play the Sphere, though. I think even an average player is going to figure that out. So they'll play Chalice for zero and then Sphere. Yeah. At which point you've got your. Pick. Can you just untap and win then? Not with Chalice for zero in play. Well, we already discussed this, didn't we? That's right. <laughs> That's why I said earlier I, you're, you're, I, you're I conceding that Chalice for zero. Evaluate that real quick. So you're going to start, to turn, cards, you start then, to turn the one land in play. What if you put Ancestral on top, then? If you put Ancestral on top... You know, Ancestral into Tropical Island Fast Bond Gush. I think you can win there. Hold on. You play I Ancestral, you, you tap your land, you play Tropical yeah. Island Fast Bond, you gush into two cards, which are gush. Maniac and Gush. Yeah. Are you kidding? Why... I just I can't believe that it's actually that that direct <laughs> because you you ancestral so, something's not right something's not right you ancestral into the next three cards there is only one card left in your library yes that's the goal but which means you can't gush you want you need to what you need to do is play maniac and then gush which you so, can't do off of trop you can't have four cards you can't have if you trop play, oh right because you need to actually play the fast bond which is one of the cards yeah we, I was assuming you still had a five card so library when you played ancestral you'll ancestral off the C and you'll draw you could draw a trop fast bond gush but then you just deck because your, your library is only one card what if what if your other card in hand was trop that's unrealistic because there's only one trop in the deck so it's unlikely to have been your opening hand 
Right, and you can't fetch it out and play Thoughtseize on the same turn, so... Yeah. Um, so, but you can Ancestral there, and you could Ancestral... There's no other mana acceleration in the deck besides Fastbawn. See, Fastbawn's the only one casting cost accelerant in the deck. And if you're not gushing, you don't actually care. If you, you had a want Soul Ring, you could do it. No, you only no, have one land. No, drop. you don't have one land. Yeah. <laughs> but, suffice it to say, Ancestral is highly relevant because you can get in three cards. Chalice for zero is in place, the Lotus is out. But you get to play a second land, which could be a C or a Trop if you put it in the stack. If it, let's assume it's the C that's still in your hand. I'm sorry, let, let, me just, let me just go through this real quick. What if you had Getaxian Probe? Land. Uh, you, would, you would need two lands and the fast one. You need to draw four cards. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you were. Yeah. That's where I was. So To make that clear for our listeners, in Social Recall, you'll have to draw four cards for you to be able to play fast bond and Maniac there. Right. Unless, hold on a second. So when you, if you played Ancestral Recall, so let's say you play, you tap your in play, your C in play, and you play Ancestral Recall, and you draw three cards. You play Tropical Island, you tap it. That's one of the three, right? Yeah, you tap it to play Fast Bond. That's, that's number two of the three. What's the third card? Yeah, and you can't gush because then you would deck. That's right. Right, okay. We've made it clear. <laughs> so. And is there any way that you could Hercules them that turn post-Ancestral? If you no. ancestral into Hercules, you've no, already got a land. Because it costs, it costs. Uh, you could, you could go fast bond land. You need to have another land in your hand, which you do. You do have another land in your hand. Yeah, but the playing the fast bond is mana transparent. You don't benefit from it unless you gush. You're just <laughs> trading one mana it's to mana play neutral. another land. Yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So I think ultimately you've got to. Basically set up a pile. Land, Maniac, seems pretty good. But we are we are still in a really good position there if... What's going to happen? They're going to play the Thorn next the following turn. And your Maniac is not going to have any problem with that whatsoever. So... Then you just need to get... Then you have to tap two mana to play Gush. You're going to draw the remainder of your library. And then next turn you'll hopefully just untap and win. I feel as though Ancestral Recall... Playing toward the ancestral recall play is very good because it compresses the game. But they does it ha- actually you help can you, you win? can well help compressing the game does help you win. It reduces variables. Yeah. You it can make it so the they context. only get two turns. So they're going to have you can very realistically win the next turn. I think basically they're going to have how you make the line of play we just discussed where you take their lotus, lotus and you force their sphere. sphere. They we- pass the turn with chalice in play zero. Yeah. You draw Ancestral. You've yes. got a land in hand. You Ancestral into another land, a Maniac, and some protection spell, I guess. I don't know okay. what it is. Maybe it's just Gush. I don't know. You play a second, la- a second land and say go. They draw their second mystery card, their turn two card, and they have enough mana, I assume, to deploy any one card in their deck. So they play a Lodestone Golem or something. Then you, you draw... Third land. You draw. You play a third land... You draw the last card in your library, don't you? And you can't even cast the Maniac. Because they have Lodestone and Golem in play. Neither Thorn nor Chalice prevents you from playing Maniac. maniac, But a a top-decked Sphere or Lodestone would. Tanglewire would. Or Tanglewire would. So if you don't play Maniac on turn two, you have to have protection for their top deck, basically. What about... 
or about putting a, a, a thought seize in the pile. So you ancestral and thought seize them again. That cuts them off of one of their two top decks, but not the other. Yeah. They can still just draw a lodestone on turn three. Yes. Or turn two, I mean. <clears throat> what about... Oh, I'm sorry, I lost it. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You you thought sees their sphere, and you force their chalice leaving thorn in play instead. You force their chalice at one, I mean. Assuming they play a chalice at one, you force that. They have a thorn and chalice at zero in play. You can still play Ancestral on turn two with your second land. Sure. It doesn't interfere with your Maniac at all. But you are still leaving yourself completely open to whatever their turn two play is. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's not very good, leaving Thorn in play. It seems to me that one probably the best... It, it might actually be best just to have up one plan and then a, a backup plan. And so your initial plan might be something like Land Maniac. Well... Land, land, is, maniac. Is there any reason to put the maniac below land? I would go land, maniac, just on the off chance that they don't disrupt you further by turn three. I would, I would seriously consider putting a Hercules in there somewhere. What about land, maniac, land, Hercules, Yawgmoth's will? Where does that get you? You would need a Lotus to even use the Yawgmoth's will. You, 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 with that scenario, you can't Yawg will. And what would you be playing with Yawg will? What would you be replaying? Land. One land? I guess that, that doesn't help you in the order I said it, it doesn't help you. I was thinking of Yawgmoth's will as a way to get out if they disrupt you, but that's not actually relevant. I guess Hercules Recall is all you really... Uh, barring Wasteland, Hercules Recall is all you really need. So you pack in two lands in your pile, or three. Three lands in the pile? Land, Maniac, Land, Hercules, Land. <laughs> Does can, that seem right? If you can fire off a Hercules, then you could put a Lotus in the pile. The only reason for the last card in your stack to be Land is if you're hedging that they disrupt you such that you need an, a fifth Hold Land a to Hold play. Hold on a second. If you thought seize the Lotus, and then you force a Will to Spear, and you put Hercules Recall on the top, then you have two. You play the second Land, pass the turn, they're going to play Thorn, right? Yeah. They're going to play Thorn... Wait a second. They're going to play Chalice at one Thorn. They play both. Okay. You can't yeah. Hercules them. Then you can play a land. So your second card down is land. You can draw it and play it, and you can yeah. cast Hercules. Yes. You're still at the mercy of their top decks, though. If they talk about yeah. the Lodestone, you're you're still out. Wait. No, no, no. Unless you put yeah, another I got, land I got, in. I got it. I got it. <laughs> no, you don't put... You, you play Hercule, you play Lab Maniac there. But you... Okay, but you're so still you, at the mercy of their top deck. Swap the swap the Hercules. You, you play Lab Maniac there. Then they play a top deck. But they've already had one top deck. And what top deck doesn't matter at this point? Well, again, don't forget that they get a top deck on turn yeah. one. Their first turn includes a mystery yeah. card. Yeah. If it's, we know they can't play Golem there. They cannot play Golem. But there. they could by turn two. By turn two. But they can play another Sphere... They could play a replacement for any of the cards we thought sees, and they could play Tangle Wire to really disrupt us. I'm just not seeing... I thought I knew what the best was, but now I'm... Uh... I feel as though our solution has to have another counterspell in it. Is there a way to put a, a one-card counterspell that isn't Force of Will in there? 
You, um, the deck had Mental Misstep, which doesn't really help. The deck yeah. had Spell Pierce, which is a possibility. Sure, that's a possibility. And the deck had Flusterstorm, which doesn't help. Right. So it's really just a Force of or Will. A, force, a Thought Seize. A Thought, a thought Seize or a Spell or, Pierce. Or, or Hercules, which is sort of a counter. I, I feel, oh, that's right. I feel as though Thought Seize isn't, doesn't really protect us enough. It hedges against only... So we already have a, a, a turn two land drop. There's no... There's nothing wrong with putting a spell pierce right there. It sounds like what you're saying. Or a thought Well, we're committed to stopping Chalice of the Void if, at one. If, if we, we do draw that. ancestral on that that thing, we draw ancestral. We could ancestral into force blue spell, force pierce. Yeah, blue spell maniac, and then have a land as the last spot. Uh, I would reverse the land in the maniac, but otherwise, yeah. No, because you already have a land in hand. So turn two, you play land, you cast Ancestral Recall. You're right, I guess it doesn't matter. Then you draw matter. Force Blue Spell Maniac. It's, and then next turn you draw land and you play Maniac. It's marginally, Isn't that just the best? It's marginally relevant if they resolve the Thorn for you to have land three before you draw the Maniac. Sure. Isn't that just the best? Ancestral Thought... For, force, force Pierce. No, yeah. Pierce force Pierce land. land. Sorry, Land Maniac. So you, so you, but you're committed to the line where you're stopping Chalice at one, and you're thought seizing Lotus or or that's Sphere. That's the problem. Is that's the problem is you don't know what they're going to play on turn one. You're going to thought seize the Lotus, and your assumption is you're forcing the Sphere. But they could very well just play Chalice for one, and then play Sphere, and then Maniac costs four, and you've only put no. no you're, but your thought seize the Sphere, right? No, I was saying thought seize the Lotus. Oh, okay. And you're going to have to force that Sphere. Force the Sphere, but the problem is that they could just play Chalice for. Two, that's not actually a problem. Sorry, Chalice for so, one. That's not actually a problem because no, it's then the not next problem. turn you'll just play the force pitching ancestral. The, all right, I know the only problem, pitching ancestral. No, no, no. Yes, you, pitching ancestral. You would pitch ancestral. You, you listen. Uh-huh. What I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. You got to back up. You thought sees the lotus. Yes. They're gonna play a chalice at one. They're gonna play. They're gonna play a chalice, chalice at one or sphere of resistance. Well, on or thorn, they maybe. only have three mana because of the way you you thought seized them, right? Right. So they can play. They're going to play Chalice for zero, Ancient Tomb. They're only two mana, unless they draw a mox. Unless they draw a mox. Yeah. Oh, that's why we said they could max yeah. out at three mana next yeah. turn. They're only going to have two, so they're going to play. Yeah. They're going to. They have three options. They can play Chalice what? for one. In addition to their Chalice for zero, they're going to play Chalice for one, Sphere, or Thorn. Right. They're most likely we the most. We, they're most likely to play Sphere. Yeah, they're most likely to play Sphere, but if they play Chalice for one, that does X out your your Ancestral. So you'd have to counter either one. Well, hold, they, hold on a sec, though. Yeah. Do You don't actually have to counter Chalice at one, though. It just prolongs the game is all. That's what I'm saying, is that yeah. if they play Chalice for one... You can, you can, you choo- can choose to allow it or not. You can choose to let it resolve. Then you can draw your Ancestral, counter their next threat... Then you draw a force, force, counter their next threat, pitching the ancestral. Yeah, yeah that's what. Uh, that's the, the two turns and later. And then you, you play the maniac. Well, then you top deck Pierce. Then you top deck Land. Then you top deck Maniac, and finally play the maniac and yeah. win the next turn. So it's yes. still three turns later. Yes. By doing by letting that chalice at one resolve, yes. you are extending the game by multiple turns, yeah. which is why I like the ancestral play because it compresses the game. So you so force regardless of what play, they play on turn you force one. Whatever they play. Then you ancestral into force blue spell land. You play a land. You have you have spell pierce and force up at that point. Yes. It's a, probably a basic island, right? You play yes. an island. Yes. You're holding. 
You're holding Pierce, no, the sea, Force, Force, yes, Mystical. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. So you're, you have C. Island C in play. This plan loses to Wasteland. Right. Right. Or Strip Mine. Because you can't cast the Maniac. So maybe you have to hedge one of those counter spells out, which has to be the Force of Will. You replace the Force of Will with Land 4. Or Gush? No. Yeah. Gush doesn't help you. In my most recent Doomsday deck, doesn't even have Spell Pierce. So. Well, that's fine. Yeah. This list did at the time, but... So it could just be a Thoughtseize. If it was Thoughtseize, what would you take? Whatever they top-decked, it, it was better, or one of these spheres. The problem with that is... Oh, you I'm have sorry. to count Chalice. You're still counting Chalice for one, so... Yeah, so you take the Lotus, you counter Chalice for... You counter whatever they play on turn one, you Thoughtseize again on turn you two. You Thoughtseize the other one. You Thoughtseize the other one of whatever you didn't want. The Sphere or the other Chalice. Yes. One or the other. Leaving them with Thorn and their turn one top-deck in hand. Yes. And you, you're naked, though. You've used your Force and your Thoughtseize. Yeah. And so you're, they'll have you're, one more top deck. If they top deck like a tangle wire, you're toast. Or a lodestone golem. Mm-hmm. When in any I mean, number the probability of cards. still favors you. I mean, it does. But I think what we're learning here is you. It's poss- It might not be possible to build an ironclad solution. And that's exactly what I, I originally thought. But then I started coming across these things, and I yeah. just realized the the point again wasn't wasn't to build an ironclad solution. The point is how do you maximize, maximize. Your, yeah sure. your chances for winning, and that may include assuming your opponent misplays. <laughs> <laughs> the, and, the, and in my opinion, the biggest problem with Wasteland is that you can't even really reliably protect it with Gush. Yeah. If, if, they, if, if they draw steps. Wasteland next turn, you can't even announce a Gush, for one. Yeah. So if you want to make a close to Ironclad solution, it has to have, your pile has to have two, two lands, lands in it. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. At which point, then so it's just jockeying just for what you expect to play next turn. Let, let's just, I still like Ancestral a lot. I, I like it because of its ability to put Force of Will and a Blue Spell in your hand. Naturally. So what and if the stack starts with Ancestral, features Force of Will and a blue card, it can't have Ancestral, Force of Will, blue card, two lands, and Maniac. That's six cards. Yeah, it still loses to Wasteland. Yeah. Ancestral Recall is the best because it shortens the amount of... in the sense that it shortens the amount of turns, but exposes you to Wasteland. Right. If any two land... I, I was thinking... Something like, I mean, what is, what is, honestly, what is wrong with having two or three lands in the pile? You could put Gush and Maniac as the, as two other, as the two spells, right? And the Gush's sole purpose is just to end the game on your th- fourth draw. So, so you're proposing, this would be, take turn, out Ancestral? Turn two, turn, your first draw would be turn two, your second draw is turn three. Your third draw is turn four, mm-hmm. and then you're really trying to win the game on turn five. That is not fast, but... Your opponent gets six draws, or five draws that way. They get five draws. That's insane. But, five cards but, sampling of a workshop deck, on. and you've got to look through all of it? <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can have the Maniac in play safe. I mean, the Maniac in play. And the, the they can draw whatever they want unless they kill you. By turn four, you're going to win the game. Yeah. Sorry, by their... Yeah, they're, unless they kill you on their fourth turn, you're going to win the game. Or the Maniac, which seems unlikely. It seems like the the safest play is to get the Maniac into play, regardless of what of what, what happens. Because you, 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 because you slowed them down so much at the up 
at the outset, I think you're going to be okay. You know, I really liked where you were going with the ancestral, and I had not considered that, honestly. <laughs> but especially ancestraling for Force and a Blue Spell, like Pierce. Yeah. But I think that if you go, I think that if you have like a, 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 land, a plan that has like land, maniac, and then just like land, gush, Hercules, it might actually work. Because you thought seize the Blotus, then you counter their, their sphere. You can actually ignore Chalice at 1 at that point. Chalice for 1 is completely irrelevant. Chalice for 0 is also irrelevant. There's a good chance that they will play Chalice for 1 on turn 1, which is just amazing. Because then you got you, turn, turn, turn 2... Turn 3 turn, Maniac. Turn three, 3 Maniac. You saying you, you take their Lotus. Yes. And if you don't care about Chalice for 0 or 1, don't you let them have Lotus also and just take a Sphere? <laughs> You thought sees sphere resistance. You let them play both chalices on yeah. turn one, and then they yes. announce thorn, and you force it. Yes. They've got chalice zero one well, with no cards, but well, one card in hand. The only reason you take the lotus is if you're if you're afraid of like. Oh, but the th- but the thorn doesn't care about maniac. That's what I'm saying. And so you're that was late. Where I originally you're, going, but you had me on your, the your late game gush. Thing. Your late game gush won't care about the thorn either. You don't need to counter anything with exactly. that play. Exactly. It's just land maniac uh, except. Tanglewire. Well, no, no, no you can force it. You can yeah. force their top decks, but you won't be able to force whatever they draw on turn two if you play Maniac, Maniac. on three. So you just wait a turn to play it, and then force their spell, and then you play it with force up. The, isn't that amazing that the, possibly the best solution is just play draw go for two <laughs> turns? So what you're saying is, you instead of going land Maniac, land, land, gush, you could go land, land, Maniac, gush, Hercules. That's what I said. Land, Maniac, Land, Gush, Hercules. I'm saying switch the order of Maniac and Land on 2 and 3. Put Land, Land, Maniac? Yeah. I don't think it matters. I think it matters. You don't miss any Land Drops. I think because it matters Because you have, turn, you have if... turn 2 Land Drop, and you have another Land in your hand, so you can draw the Maniac and still make your Land Drop. Why did I think that that mattered? I don't know why I thought that mattered. You're right. It, it doesn't. This way, though, you get... If you give yourself the opportunity to play Maniac on three, you can make a judgment call of whether that's the right play yes. in context of what they drew so, on turn yeah, one. So, yeah, you can ignore all these spells. You can ignore everything except, <laughs> except for the for sphere. sphere. You just thought sees the Sphere of Resistance. They go, they go <laughs> Chalice for zero, Black Lotus. You go, it's fine. They go Tolarian <laughs> Academy. You go... They tap it for two and play Chalice at one. And Thorn. And, and no, they tap it for two and play Chalice at one. He's like... That's fine. fine. They break Lotus and play Thorn. You're like, fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> then they pass with Academy, Chalice, Chalice, Thorn in play. Yes. You draw and play a land number two and say go. Yeah, the, you draw and you have a land in your hand. And you have a land in hand. And you, They play a threat and you force it. You yes. draw land three and play Maniac. Maniac. And the next turn, you draw Gush and win, regardless of what they do. They can play Tanglewire. They can play Tanglewire. No. They can play Lotus. If they play Tanglewire, you you can't play Gush. Well, don't you Gush on your upkeep and win? The next turn, yes. Gush. Oh, you're you, right. You're right. You, you don't would Gush the next turn. You would win. have to. You didn't draw it yet. Yeah, that's right. You'd have to wait a turn. But Tanglewire doesn't kill you. Yes. Lodestone Golem doesn't kill no. you. No, none of those things kill you. This is the solution. What? What There's do, nothing you, what do you, you lose to? You do not lose to Wasteland either. You lose to double wasteland. You lose to double wasteland, and they only have... They have to draw consecutive double wasteland. They have to draw them on turns two and three. Yes. They have to draw two of them on the first three turns. Yes. Yeah. 
You lose to Wasteland plus Crucible, ironically, but, yeah. And you lose to Duplicant, maybe, and, you know... The, they have to draw mana to get to Duplicant, yes, though. Yes, they have to draw... Because so, their Academy taps for three, and they've got Ancient Tomb, and if you they do draw right, one again, more. If they draw, you can still force the Duplicant, so... This, this plan... Oh, that's right. It's, this if they draw... <laughs> if they try to play it on turn three, you can still force the Duplicant. So, after... We, we came to the solution... It's still not ironclad, but it gets, seems it's, to maximize. It's virtually ironclad. Yeah. I mean, they have to have double wasteland, and they have to draw it in quick succession. Yeah. So that's the, unbelievable. The, the solution to the, this, the puzzle is: you thought sees the sphere of resistance, <laughs> and you build the doomsday pile, land maniac, land gush, herbals. There might even be a better fifth card. That, there. That's the fifth card might yeah. not be Hercules. There might be land, but it's a pretty no, good if hedge. It's, if it's land, then you actually might be able to beat double wasteland. <laughs> Oh, wow, you're right. If it's land, you beat Double Wasteland. The serious slow roll. That's a complete slow roll. Unbelievable. You're getting to the point where you don't have enough lands in your deck. You're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for lands at that point. Oh, man. That's really, really funny. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's it. I have a wacky thought, and just just bear with me okay. on this one. What if land three in that pile is polluted delta? <laughs> Hear me so, out. So this final land so is this... a is a that's clever. I like that. So you wait one turn. Wait, why would, you wouldn't necessarily even have to wait because the last card's already what you know what it is. Yeah, that's clever. So it you, is resilient to wasteland then too. It's more resilient to wasteland, but it allows you to artificially accelerate your yes. win in certain scenarios. Yes, that's clever. So you go <laughs> Underground Sea, Maniac, Polluted Delta, Gush, Underground Sea. Oh, you could just put Delta in on top and no. not use it. You just put it into play and not use it. Uh, you don't want to do that, though, because... you want to be able to force through double right. door or something like You want to have yeah. access to the fourth land. Because it, having a fetch land in play in that context doesn't right. protect you from wasteland at all. Yes, yeah, that's true. Okay. And so, in fact, I just realized that the first land would be Basic Island. You go Island, you Maniac, Delta... Gush, C. You would still probably put a, a, a land there instead of Gush Delta just as a backup in case they had double wasteland. No, I mean the, the, the fifth card is also a land. Yeah. So you but you you, you, you let all their spells resolve. You draw an island and right. play it. So you've got island C on turn two. If they have double wasteland and no other things, having a land there instead of Delta is better because then you can play the the laboratory maniac through double sphere or something. That, that's a good point. Yeah. Through 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 thorn sphere or golem. golem. Yeah. So you're playing laboratory. But it's, you I force, like the thought. You I like force the thought. You're artificially, you're you're you're, you're the, you know shrinking your library. Yeah. yeah, I'm just trying to think what scenarios does that actually beat? If you, so so it might speed up the game though. If I love that you can just save your force that you they can play yeah. everything, and then you play turn two land, and they play. It doesn't speed up the game, I just realized. It doesn't actually. It doesn't. No. And because you play Gush the same because time. Because you play Gush in the same yeah. turn, yeah. and it doesn't matter if your library is zero or one card. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Still, a very funny thought, though. Mm-hmm. But I, I can envision scenarios where you could, you could, you could put fetch lands in the pile to protect yourself from wastelands. Yeah. If you were doing something kooky like playing Doomsday on turn one without casting any other spells. Or you needed like a black spell or a green spell or something. Or if you had a basic island. If you have a basic yeah. island... And you play Lotus Doomsday, you can 
in, you can insulate yourself from wastelands for two turns by putting deltas in play. <laughs> and then you draw the maniac, you can double... That's insane. What if your pile is delta, delta, maniac, cc? <laughs> you just play two deltas out, draw the maniac, double when? fetch, play the maniac, and say go. <laughs> you, you would do that if your opponent was fronting wastelands. Right. If, if you had forced yeah. their spells or whatever, if they play chalice at zero or some stuff, maybe they empty their whole hand out. Maybe they go right. land, mox, 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 right. chalice zero, lodestone, and you force the lodestone. You go island, lotus doomsday fetch fetch maniac oh but you wouldn't do that there's child zero in play so it's kind of the same calculus very funny it's they've got cute. wasteland sitting up you can put active deltas on there but then the question becomes if your workshop playing opponent is smart they might consider wasting your deltas anyway to get you to shuffle to get you to shuffle yeah. which on the penultimate turn on the turn where you're going to draw a maniac and play it it's smart of them to wasteland you right there. Yes. Because they can only benefit, yes. really. They only... You've lost your land drops. Well, the, no, the point is, you don't lose any lands, but you... Um, they lost, you, you lost the land you, drops. They get to shuffle your library, though. Yeah, yeah. So there's the possibility that your maniac isn't on top unless you want to double fetch. I think that this plan we've we've gone through is the is the best, though. I, what, I think that... It's, what an insane... <laughs> what an insane conclusion. <laughs> that putting three land, two or three lands in a pile. That's why I said at the outset. That's actually what I thought it was. But then you, you had me thinking about this Ancestral pile because they're quicker. Yeah. I was like, wow. But you can't make it ironclad to be right. faster with Ancestral. I think right. the slow play is better. I doubt anyone who read the puzzle in my article, the would, article would have come up with that. Would have come up with this. Let alone taking Sphere and not taking Lotus. Because Lotus is such an obvious I just take. My favorite part about this whole thing is letting all their turn one plays resolve. <laughs> <laughs> they play Lotus, Chalice, Chalice, Thorn, and you're like, that's all good. <laughs> Land I'm go. I'm playing around it. <laughs> talk, you, you talked about the psychological effects of certain plays. Yeah. Can you imagine how demoralizing that would be? Well, if you win through that, yeah. The, but yeah, but the point is, they thought CZU yeah. and they noodle over it for five minutes, and they take this, and then you just play all this stuff, and they're like, "Yep," <laughs> and then they still beat you as a workshop player. Yeah, that's nothing they can killer. do. There's just nothing they can do. You take this fear. They they play Thorn, but then their next play is forced. Yeah, because you have the, you. <laughs> there's nothing they can do. They're completely hoodwinked. <laughs> that's, that's, inc- that's incredible. <laughs> Well, so we want to put out the obligatory call to our listeners such that if there is a more ironclad or better solution or you have a different position on what the the real plan should be, by all means, let us know. know, Because as you can tell, there's more than one way to skin this cat. But something that gives me confidence, just a last note uh, on that, something that gives me confidence in this is that one of the things I said repeatedly in my last Doomsday article is that most of the time against shops, I, I have like two or three land piles. Like really? Really, I think basically two land piles. Like yeah. two lands in the piles. And this just looks very similar to what I've done before. Just, it's very compressed because it's a turn one doomsday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I have confidence in this plan. But we I definitely want to hear from you guys. Yeah. And hear what you have to say. I'm sure you found this conversation frustrating and interesting at the same time. Uh, yeah, so. I know. I'm sorry. It is a little frustrating to hear us think through the, all the options on the air, but I think it's educational still. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you. This the notion of us thinking through all the possibilities like right. this dovetails is something I think you wanted to point out, which is the way we think about things like Absolutely. this. This what we just went through took twenty plus minutes. You but, can't do that in game. That's true. You, you can't. And, and and I think I think there's two things to say about it. One is that the doomsday piles are complicated, but they're not. I mean, 
this pile looks complicated, but it's actually, I mean, the process is complicated, but it's actually very simple. It still is only five cards and play a couple of spells. Two, two the lands, result is not two that lands, complicated. Two lands, Maniac, and a Gush is basically what it is. In fact, it looks like almost all the others. And one of the things that you know, I think that is misleading about Doomsday Piles, this is not your grandfather's Doomsday deck. This is not trudging through the snow upward, you know, for six <laughs> yeah. miles. These are actually, you know, much simpler to construct. And I think that the Doomsday Doomsday player needs to understand that. I think that there are some people out there who are accomplished Doomsday players who sort of have some sort of buyer's remorse <laughs> from Innistrad who are, you know, feeling unhappy, maybe a little bit miffed about what's, what's happening in Legacy and Vintage. Yeah. Um, but, but, but ultimately, I think that you can, add, you can solve this puzzle without a tremendous amount of forward thinking if you just think, you know, if you just pu- put some two lands in there, a Maniac and a Gosh, you're going to get there. That's yeah. a good point. If your instincts about playing against workshops are that history tells me I need two lands, I know I need the Maniac, yeah. you're really only dealing with two other variables at that point. It's, you can just pull out a couple of candidates boring. and say, well, I want to put a Gush somewhere in there so I can end the game. And You probably get it right. Or and then, close to get it right. That's right. You're already you're 88% of the way there. Then yes. you start sorting it and think, well, if I do this on turn two, you, know, you can get exactly. there inside of 60 seconds. Exactly. The, the other thing, though, is that, and, th- and this is what I wanted to get at, a lot of what we do, and I think we did a less, maybe didn't do as good of a job of it today, <laughs> is we do a lot of logical forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Basically sequencing, you know, looking at all the possible scenarios. One of the things that I like to do when looking at opening hands in particular is seeing, or even any scenario, is to say, what are all the possibilities? Line them up and then beginning el- eliminating the clear, clearly inferior ones and then mm-hmm. evaluating and comparing the better ones. Um, but the human mind doesn't work like that. We are wired for pattern recognition. I mean, a good example is, is we were talking about mulliganing. When we look at opening hands, we often don't look at, well, this is Underground Sea and this is Tropical Island. We just notice, oh, it produces blue mana, mm-hmm. you know? Now, certainly we're aware of vulnerabilities, but what we've created is a schema, right? And you did it implicitly, Kevin, when, when we, before the podcast we were talking about how many blue, land, blue mana producers are, are in the deck, and you did during the podcast, you're just looking for blue mana. Mm-hmm. And that way, you're sort of generalizing Underground Sea, Misty Rainforest, Island, all in the same category for pattern recognition purposes. And the reason we do that is because the human brain can only process a teensy bit of information per second. I mean, some scientists say that the human mind, the conscious mind, processes between 20 and 40 bits per second. Yet we're processing tons of information Millions of bits of information is coming into our mind, but mostly subconsciously observing it. Mm-hmm. And so when Magic players sit down and play, you are under time pressure. You have a reasonable amount of time to make a play. You can't think through every single possibility. So what you, we do is we tend to rely on pattern recognition. Our mulligan decisions aren't detailed analysis. It's, do I have land? You know, These are the things that you're familiar with when mm-hmm. looking. And so when playing Magic, you typically the best players have the most experience. But one way you can compensate for a lack of experience is by be, being better at thinking through in a logical way. The human brain, brain isn't, isn't wired that way. We, the human brain as an organ consumes a lot of energy. It's a hog. <laughs> and one of the ways that we, we even it's, it's, its processing capacity is limited. And one of the ways that we compensate and in, in process more information than, we, you know, than our 20 bits per second is, is by generalizing, categorizing, schemas, shortcuts, these mental shortcuts, a lot of unconscious information coming to our conscious mind, and we create these categories and shortcut. 
But if you try avoiding some of those shortcuts, some of the time you you can by thinking things through, you know, in really boolean ways, you know, if then concepts, then you can actually conceptualization, then you can actually get to stronger answers with less experience than say Louis Scott Vargas or you know Patrick Chapin might have. So all, all I'm saying is that it, I think this kind of detailed analysis can benefit players, including yourself, into thinking in ways that you wouldn't have, you know, in practicing doing it, even though you wouldn't have time to do it necessarily in a real tournament setting. For someone who isn't given to doing this kind of thing frequently, or maybe for whom this kind of analysis doesn't come naturally, and they just say, "Oh, I just into it. I want to do this. I want to yeah, take the. That's, I want to take the sphere because that's, that's the worst thing. That's your pattern recognition kicking in. Right, and so those players can benefit from doing this kind of preparation. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to do it all the time, but if you have the time and space to do it, it's definitely worth it. I would love if we could play Magic on that scale. I think mm-hmm. it would be a much more interesting game. Correspondence magic. <laughs> I would love to play correspondence magic. I think that <laughs> magic is artificially compressed. I think that because most players rely on pattern recognition, but we don't actually take the time to um, sketch out and diagram all the possible sequences in the ways that would actually produce the deepest and most interesting forms of magic. Mm-hmm. That's one man's opinion. I would say that there are certain ways in which a lot of Magic players are comfortable doing this kind of thing that they take for granted, like sideboarding plans. Yeah. A lot of players will build and test a deck, and they'll test almost completely intuitively. They swap yeah. out cards while they're testing. They yeah. say, this matchup feels this way. It, they don't even take exactly. notes. That's exactly what I mean by unconscious, subconscious information. Is right. that there's lots of information that, that you're processing, and you're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. You're feeling and observing and making connections that your brain is making. That it's not, It never comes to conscious awareness. But then that same player might actually take the logical, detailed, fully vetted approach when it comes to sideboarding. They might right. take out a piece of paper and say, I'm going to bring yeah. out this card and bring well, in this card. We, most of us do, many of us do create sideboard plans. Right. But what I'm saying is that's an example of how a player who might not be given to this right. kind of detailed analysis does it naturally. still does yeah. it over in yeah. a certain context because they recognize that's the way you plan sideboards is to make a full list and vet out all the options and say, this goes in, this goes out, document it all. Yeah. And so try taking that approach sometime when you're thinking about your opening hand. Right. <laughs> instead. It's a, it's a great point. I mean, I mean, if you read, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, where he talks about thin slicing and how, you know, people have experience doing things, create mental shortcuts, but it's all subconscious processing. Mm-hmm. You know, many of us can look at a magic card, especially as old players, and know if it's a fake or not, you know, pretty well. How do we know? How do we actually know? Mm-hmm. Have we analyzed it? No. We just know because of experience, and it's actually subconscious, you know, impression. Mm-hmm. There's the opening story in, in Blink is, you know, a Greek kuros. This guy looks at it and knows it's fake. He can't tell why. He doesn't know why. It passes every inspection test, mm-hmm. but he knows it's fake. A lot of this stuff is subconscious, and the problem is that shortcuts make mistakes. Our mind is an imperfect machine. Mm-hmm. It, it has developed these these shortcuts for evolutionary purposes so that we can, you know, if we know fight or flight, you know we know if the, to avoid certain things. But but frankly, nature has has built those those errors into its processes. Like maybe you might be familiar with the uh, the monarch butterfly, which is poisonous to birds. But there's another butterfly that looks almost identical to the monarch, which isn't. Which isn't is delicious. <laughs> not only is it not poisonous, it is delicious. <laughs> I love it. The birds don't predate it for that for that same for that same reason. I think the same thing is true. Is that, that that relying too much on pattern recognition can cause you to make play mistakes where you could have avoided it. And I think that's why what our first scenario was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. It looked like a hand that's an auto mulligan. There's no lands in there. 
but take a second look. Mm-hmm. You know, think through what might happen here. You know, and I think that hand actually turns out to be, if not playable, a lot more playable than it looks like. It goes back to your Bobby Fischer article. One of the things we mentioned in that was about how his his just heroic preparation for right. an event. Well, what is preparation other than building that patterns Absolutely. that you can rely on Absolutely. then when you're performing in the heat of battle? Exactly. And that's what uh, practice is. I mean, if you do a martial arts, you get it so it's all muscle memory. And so it's all subconscious. Mm-hmm. You don't have to consciously think through, oh, I twist my wrist here and I move my left leg back. Mm-hmm. No, it's all built in subconsciously because if you had to process that information, your mind would become quickly overwhelmed at your 20 to 40 bits per second. This re- this reminds me sometimes of of when you and I test with our teammate Brian, and sometimes he is uh, he objects to the way that you especially, but me sometimes will decompress games in, in testing. Yes, and he'll criticize you and say you can't do this in a tournament. You can't yes. spend ten minutes writing this stuff down in a tournament. Yes, and your counter argument would be, I know I can't, but I need to do it now. Yes. to understand what my conclusion is going to be such that next time I encounter this situation, exactly. I can just go straight to conclusion. Exactly. Now, that doesn't work all the time, but the point is right. is that you benefit from taking the time to decompress. If, if you fully analyze a situation, you can learn so much more than... I mean, what we just did with the Doomsday scenario basically tells us what, what 10 games of testing, if not more, could tell us. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's in a sense a substitute for testing. You, there's a there's a there's a Norwegian I think he's Norwegian he's a Scandinavian scientist who wrote a book called The User Illusion, and he theorizes that the subconscious exists to allow our conscious mind to process a lot more than it otherwise would because mm-hmm. the up subconscious basically feeds everything you know helps us process information that we otherwise would not be able to process. Right, I would say that a lot of people would test successfully and reach a lot of conclusions that benefit them in tournament settings. And a lot of that understanding is perfectly valid. There are there are cases, though, when you're at risk of reaching the wrong conclusion and not knowing it. That's where the decompression comes in. Exactly. You, it, your mulligan analysis analogy, yeah. I think, displays that perfectly. A lot of players would look at a hand of seven blue cards and just say, nope. Mulligan, yeah. Because our pattern recognition is set so, up to say there's exactly. no mana sources in here. Exactly, there's no blue mana. There's no ske- that's our schema. And it may mana, yeah. and it may still be that mulliganing that hand is the right thing to exactly. do, but not for the reason you think. Exactly. Not because there is no land, but because this hand does not have a good plan against your opponent. And that's where the decompression can help you. You might through testing just throw back that seven blue card hand and it be correct but you did it for the wrong reason. Exactly. And if you don't stop and analyze why and you're doing it... Those reasons inform future decision-making. Right. Then you start to see a variation on that hand. Right. Like you said, six blue cards and a mox. Yeah. The answer might be different, but not just because there's a mox, because it produces mana, but because it allows you strategic options, say, playing around a thorn, something yeah. like that. It gives your, your force value through a thorn. gives your tinker more future value. Yeah. So it's not just because you have one mana source, but because... You actually have the right plan now with your six blue cards. Exactly. Things like that. You can help reprogram yourself to see what the appropriate That's metrics exactly are. That's exactly what you're doing. And, and when, when you play Doomsday, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I don't think people should be scared. And I say this to you too, Kevin. I don't think you should be scared about the Doomsday piles. They're actually a lot simpler than they look. I mean, they just they don't seem that way. <laughs> but it's really pretty much the same stuff. I mean, almost all my shop... Doomsday piles look, look almost identical to this. In fact, I could, I think the last four I posted in my article were basically like pretty much that. In fact, this is one that's 
Island, Lab, Gush, Island, Gush. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's only two cards different. Yeah, and it has the same plan basically. Another, yeah, I mean another one. I mean these are all the same things. I, I posted these in my. Um, another one, Ancestral Lotus Lab Island Island. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's just different because it's got backup in case something happens with mm -hmm. ancestral, but you still have the double island in there. So anyway. fascinating discussion. We Steve and I both love this kind of analysis of the way people think and how to train yourself and mm -hmm. go out of your comfort zone sometimes to take a different approach. Right. But basically, training your mind how to prepare for these situations, both in and out of the tournament setting. As magic players, we all learn through pattern recognition. That's how we initially learn because the, the data is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you first start playing Magic, you're not even thinking about what's in your deck. It's like when you first learn Dominion, you know? It's <laughs> like you're focusing on... Because your conscious mind can only process so much information. It's only, you know... And so training yourself as an experienced Magic player to untrain over-reliance on pattern recognition can produce tremendous benefits. Yeah. But it's hard to do and requires focus and determination. For anyone who doesn't know, Dominion is a card building, a deck building card game that's not collectible. And if you haven't heard of it as Magic players, especially vintage players, you really should check it out. Almost all the vintage players I know really like Dominion. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should wrap this one up. Yeah. So thanks for listening to our scenarios. And uh, what we have left then for this episode is our question of the week. Steve? Well, our question for you is what is the biggest vintage story of 2011? We're nearing the end of the year. We're going to do an end-of-the-year wrap-up, I, I presume. Yeah, we'll do a year-end summary. I would like to know what you think is the biggest story of the year. And the question is, is intentionally ambiguous and, and vague. As it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd like to hear what you think. Send us an email at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. Or just send us a tweet. Biggest story of the year was X. Send that to <laughs> at Mini Insane Plays on Twitter. We get a lot of your email and we like it, so keep it coming. That's right. And until next time, we wish you many insane plays. Mm -hmm.